Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we're joined by the third Jones here for tonight. Mark Jones, writer, director of Leprechaun and a lot of cool things. It's very good to have you here. Thank you. It's, uh, I hope it's going to be fun to be here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We, we hope so as well. Yeah. Yes. Well. Yep. So uh, first of all, with Leprechaun. Like, where did the, when did you start thinking a leprechaun would be a good idea for a horror movie? Uh, you know, I, 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 I've been asked that a lot. I honestly believe it, it came from the Lucky Charms commercial. <clears throat> I think I was, it was in the, uh, in the early 80s. I, I, was, I was over at El Torito, I remember. Uh, I was with my secretary at the time. And uh, I, I, I don't know what, some, the Lucky Charms commercial came on in the bar or something. I said, you know, no one's ever done a horror movie about Leprechaun. They've done Friday the 13th, Halloween, uh, you know, uh, Valentine's Day, everything but St. Patty's Day and, and, and Leprechauns. I said, let's take this Leprechaun and make him evil and um, do, do, a, uh, do a horror movie. And I was surprised no one had thought of it. So I guess I get, it's the Lucky Charms commercial, which we actually kind of made fun of in the movie at the, the, the last line was fuck you lucky charms <laughs> did any anybody from lucky charms get a hold of you like hey what's going on here no but you know there's a there was a rumor and i even think it was on uh imdb or something where someone said that we originally shot a leprechaun goes into the kitchen and grabs a box of uh cereal that supposed to look like lucky charms but with the rumor was we shot him doing lucky charms and he eats it and he spits it out like it's terrible uh-huh. And that we finished the film, we showed it to General Mills, and they said, no, you can't use it. So we had to reshoot the scene. The scene. And I was so mad that at the end, uh, I had the kid, before he kills the leprechaun, say, fuck you, Lucky Charms. I don't know where that rumor came from, <laughs> but I can tell you right now, we had always show, shot it. The box actually says Lucky Clovers. We wanted it to look as close as it could and make people think it was Lucky Charms so the joke would play. No, we never went to General Mills. General Mills never saw a cut, never reshot the scene. Uh-huh. And that was always scripted. So anyway, I'll put that rumor to rest. All right, very good. The rumor doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would you show it to, to General Mills? I couldn't imagine they'd be like, hell yeah, this is great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know. our, our legal affair said, you know what? You're better off not using the Lucky Charms. Just call it something else. So. I'm supposed to. I was supposed to have gotten that box and put it in my office, and I was always disappointed. I, I don't know who took it, but I never got the. It was Lucky Clovers, was uh-huh. the actual serial name that yeah. we used. That's pretty sweet. They've put out like um, horror serials over the last couple of years. I think there's like uh, I forget some of the ones they put out. But th- if they ever come to you, you should say that we should need uh, the Lucky Clovers actual cereal that you could buy at at the store. You know, I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. Yeah, there's an. I think there's an Elvira one. Is there? Well, yeah, yeah. They should, or or they could just do a Leprechaun cereal. Mm-hmm. You know, from you the movie. Hey. Yeah. So, was your plan always to do a horror comedy? Was it always you're always going to make it a comedic horror movie? Well, you know, my my background. I I, I originally started. Really, right out of high school, I got into the animation studios, like a Gopher, Xerox, and then I started writing animation. So I'd written a lot of shows in the early '80s, like you know Scooby Doo and Captain Caveman, and 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 a bunch of Saturday morning shows as a writer and a producer. 
And so I kind of knew comedy and, and visual, you know, cartoons. And so when it came time to do uh, Leprechaun, I'd already branched out, branched out into primetime television, and then I, I wanted to direct and this movie. So when I finished the script, um, or when I was writing the script, I said, you know, I kind of want to make it like a live-action kind of uh, Scooby-Doo live-action kind of show. And if you really look at it, I, I lit it with bright colors. I kind of made it funny. So it kind of was if Scooby-Doo had to go after the villain of the week and he was a leprechaun, it would have been a little bit like like my leprechaun, you know, driving a tricycle, a pogo stick. So I sort of always wanted the script to have a little bit of comic element. At, at one point when Warwick got involved and he came out, uh, we, we got together and he added some interesting comedy stuff. And he was just, he's just a, such a great actor and, and, and he knows comedy. And Trimark, the studio, always, I think, wanted it more horror. And I sort of wanted it to go more comedy. And we sort of met in the middle. And, and then, of course, when everybody f later on liked the comedy, then, of course, Trimark says, oh, yeah, we wanted the comedy. They took out a lot of comedy. They wanted me to cut out a lot of the... Uh, there's, there, there should be a director's cut somewhere, which has a lot of extra scenes and... And it probably, probably, uh, it'd be some of the cult uh, followers would probably like to see that. I don't know where that is. Should I should look for it? Yeah, definitely. So, how did Warwick get involved? Was there anyone else up for the role of Leprechaun? Well, we, you know, we were uh, we were a small picture, and I mean, it was a million dollars, which actually in those days wasn't wasn't as small. And relatively speaking, they're making pictures cheaper now, but. Uh, we, we were reading a lot of little people and we would, we would have gone with an unknown if he was good because, you know, he's in prosthetics, so you don't really see him. Uh, and, and then somebody suggested, I think my casting director said, you know, what, have you thought of the Willow guy? Cause he had just done Willow, yeah. Warwick Davis. And I said, I'd love to get him. He's a good actor and he's, uh, you know, he's in England. Do you think we can get him? And long story short, we sent him the script and, uh, he, he really liked the script, and he, he actually had a little bit of a tra tragedy. He, he, he had just had a baby, their first baby, he and his wife, Sam, and she came out with him, and she's a sweetheart. They had a, 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 a baby who, uh, after about 10 days, passed away. And so he was so wanting to get out of England, wanting to just, you know, just forget. And so he thought diving into a movie, coming to the United States, working three months on a movie would help he and his wife sort of get through that that horrible, horrible, sad tragedy. And um, so, you know, I think that that was part of the motivation. Uh, but he said he really liked the script and he wanted to do it. And then, you know, he, he loved the character and obviously did, you know, five others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Well, I guess there have been other people now that have played him, but it's hard to imagine someone else in, in the first movie uh, playing the character. Yeah, he was, I mean, we came up with a very unique kind of character, and, and n number number seven, which Leprechaun Origins, which I didn't even think was, was you know, should have been in the batch, though it was, um, uh, but uh, that was just a monster, just a crazy monster villain, yeah. and and no personality, no nothing, and the, the last one they did, which was Leprechaun Returns, that, that played on sci-fi, um, they brought in, and I'm just the name escapes me, but they brought in a new little person, and I got to tell you, he was as good as as close to kind of the Warwick character, um, and they 
they they actually took it from my original film in the farmhouse with the well, and they even brought in uh, Mark Holton, who played Ozzy, the uh, the, uh, the 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 sort of uh, uh, re- well, I guess politically correct, a retarded character. <laughs> right. All of that. Now we're not supposed to say that, but he was he was, and they brought him back twenty five years later, and really made it a direct sequel. And I actually liked it, and I thought it was by far superior. To number seven, uh, Leprechaun Origins. I don't know what that was, uh, and they yeah. still owe me money uh, for that one. Uh, even though oh, I really? Yeah, well, it's a whole long story on that one. But we, we, you know, I, 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 I have ownership in all the Leprechauns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've interviewed the guy who uh, Hornswoggle, the wrestler who played uh, the Leprechaun in that one on Origins, and he even himself is not a fan of the movie. Yeah, I, they, you know, it's funny. I wrote a first draft before I got it out to the studios, and it was more like that. It was a it was a straight ahead horror movie where it was just a monster. He didn't really have dialogue. He didn't have character. And I said, you know, we've seen that before. Let me bring a little a little color, a little comedy into it. And that's what I ended up going out, and that's what Trimark bought. Uh, but it was funny because then they went back to really. A version that I had written that I abandoned, uh, but it, it just you know it, it was not Hornswoggle's fault at all. He was given the script, but I mean the Leprechaun has to be a character. Yeah. He has to be funny. He has to have uh, personality. Yeah, he didn't even understand because he said he was in full costume for the movie, but yet uh, the actual movie that comes out, like you barely even see it. It could have really just been like a like a puppet or something. You can just you can barely tell it's a person, you know, in a costume. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. And uh, the director of the last one, Steve Kostansky, I, I like a lot. We've had him on the show a couple times, not for the Leprechaun movie, but he used to do a lot of the Astron 6 movies. So, right. Uh, right. I think he's a talented guy. So, uh, yeah. What, did he say anything about that movie? Like why they went in that direction? Uh, n- no. I, I, we had him on before the Leprechaun movie had come out. He, we had him on for Void and a couple other ones. But I, I need I should have bring him back and ask him about that though. Yeah, I mean, listen, I you know I I I it was a direction they wanted to go. They I guess they wanted to, you know, they're funny. It was WWE and and, and Trimark or Lionsgate, which yeah. bought Trimark, um, the original studio. But you know, it's it's like they always want to come up with something. They buy a property and then they change it so much that it's like well then why did you buy the property i mean the kids wanted leprechaun they wanted another sequel or or at least the origins and i thought it was uh um it it just it just made no sense the way they went with it uh i I, but they used the the leprechaun uh you know sequel to get people interested in it so a little bit of of a trick i think they played on the audience Mm mm-hmm no, were you involved at all in, in any of the sequels? Uh, I, I was. I was a producer on number two, uh, and, and a little bit involved in the development. But I left and, and did a movie called Rumpelstiltskin for Dino De Laurentiis right after that. So I sort of didn't have much to do with uh, three, four, five, and on. Uh, other than I, my, I get my characters created by, and I have a financial interest in them. Yeah. Uh, they have to pay me every time they make them. Which is but, always a plus. Yes, yes. So I don't <laughs> complain. But you know, I, 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 after the a little bit of the beginning of the second one, and I, and they sort of, I, I got taken in and and um, and did a did another horror movie for for Dino, 
and let let Trimark sort of do what they what they do, which is continue the sequels. I I thought the uh, In the Hood and Back to the Hood and though I thought those were an interesting way to go. Mm-hmm. I know they had a big fan base. Yeah, yeah they're I actually, fun. <laughs> yeah, I do actually think they're the, the best of the uh, the older sequels. Yeah, yeah. Number four in space. Uh, 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 never got that one. Uh, <laughs> but um, I thought number, you know, number two was a different tone. And again, they, they I don't think they really, I, I think the way, reason Leprechaun worked is we didn't, we, we, we kind of played along with the audience and had fun with it. And I think number two, they, they, they did a little bit of it, but number, I think the, the, you know, five and six, they went back to the, let's just have fun with it. Number three was not bad. The Vegas one, as far as tone, mm-hmm. but, uh, they, they, you know, they should stay with what worked. Yeah. Usually in a franchise, when they zap the, uh, the character into space, it's usually a bad, uh, it's usually a bad, uh, of film yeah i'm sure that i'm sure there's exceptions but well listen that was number four five six seven eight so they ended up doing four more after that right, <laughs> right. So got a total of eight uh which is pretty amazing yeah yeah so uh how did jennifer anderson get involved and you know what did you think when she blows up after that she um she was brought in with a bunch of you know uh no no name actresses she had done a couple of things of episodic television and she just came in and read with with a bunch of girls because we didn't want to uh warwick was kind of a name and 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 we paid him uh uh you know a a salary commensurate we we since it was fairly inexpensive movie we didn't want to necessarily get a star so we went with a girl uh, unknowns and she walked in and honest, and, and I've said this before, there, she had a charisma in the room. I mean, she walked in, and I'm sitting there with my producing partner, Michael Prescott, and he, we looked at her, and, and I turned to him, and I said, boy, I hope she can act, because she had such a presence, and she was so cute, and she just stood out, and we read her, and she did great, and I had locked in on wanting to use her right off the bat, and I had to sort of, <coughs> excuse me, I had to, I had to wrestle with Trimark to 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 get her. They kept wanting me to read other girls and read them with the lead actor. And I said, guys, Jennifer is the one. Can't I just hire her? No, we got to look again. And, you know, it was executive committee of nine people had to had to, you know, go through, you know, a week of reading everybody when they finally said, OK, OK. Mm-hmm. So but she was I, I could see something in her. I I never expected her to get to where she is. Yeah. But uh, I'm happy. I, but she was great. She's a sweetheart and professional and good sense of humor. Uh, I loved working with her, and um, I you know couldn't be happier where she is. I wish she would send me some money. But, <laughs> you know, I keep emailing her and asking her for you know just 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 a little bit, but I don't get a reply. All right. Yeah, I mean, she could come back for for like your your sequel for Leprechaun, uh, you know, like uh, like for Hall- like they did with Halloween. Bring yeah, back. Well, if they, listen, if I if I did uh, another Leprechaun sequel, she might do me that favor. And the studios never bothered to, to think about that. But you know, I think they, you know, once the franchise is working, I, I think they would less likely like anybody who was the creator and who really you know, could some somehow take credit because I think they want to 
you know, they want to make it their own. And that's a common thing. So uh, they haven't asked me back to uh, do a sequel. But I always, I, I have uh, uh, a new a new horror franchise. And I don't know, it's, it's been out there. It was actually greenlit at one time, but there was a legal lawsuit. We won the suit, but the money went away. It was a, uh, it was a leprechaun who gets bit by a vampire and becomes a vampricon. <laughs> nice. A little tiny vampire who bites your ankles instead of your neck and and we would actually we were in talks with warwick to play it but he would have a different look he'd be more like a you know, johnny depp in the dark shadows and kind of a vampire to be a good little character thing and that's still out there we we may get that and um so that's uh and and uh, see if i can get another franchise with warwick uh, called vampircon i'm i'm totally down with this and i, I could tell by troy's reaction he also liked the idea Oh yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sold. I was sold yeah. at the name. Didn't <laughs> even need an explanation. Well, listen, we, we 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 have a good script, and we 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 got a, a green light, and we had a uh, we had a hiccup where a, a producer we we're working with, or attorney who, you know, kind of went in there and tried to state claim that he owned part of the franchise and all that. So we we ended up we had to go to court, and and. Less than 30 days, we completely won. But in this town, it's like, you know, if you don't strike immediately. Uh, so that money went away for other various reasons. But we'll get it back. We're, we'll get it back on track. What is it about small uh, uh, monsters that you like? Because you also did Triloquist and Rupert Stilskin. Yeah, people ask me that all the time. They said, uh, you, you like these little, I, 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 maybe because I, I, I'm taller than they are. So they're a little <laughs> I don't know. I, I think when I was a kid, I saw some kind of fairy tale. I actually think it was like a Shirley Temple fairy tale movie, the TV uh, series. And there was a little little creature who played Rumpelstiltskin, much different than my Rumpelstiltskin. But, and I thought it was really creepy and scary. And then there was the Wild Wild West, Dr. Loveless, that TV series. Uh, where he played a mad scientist. Oh yeah, he was great in that. And they were kind of, you know, little people were kind of, kind of scary sometimes. And of course, now I've, I've been around them so much, and they're great people. And mm -hmm. you know, it's funny how you know uh, Warwick is terrific. And but you know, when I was a kid, you know, I always thought they were kind of scary. They could be really scary if they came after you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm five five, so I can relate to the idea of uh, you're, you're being taller than them. Yeah. So who did who actually did the makeup for uh, for Warwick? Because it really is a great makeup. Yeah, a guy named Babe Bartolis, who actually stayed with Warwick through all the Leprechauns. Uh, Gabe was great. Uh, when we were prepping, I don't know how I got a hold of him, but I somebody suggested him. Maybe our line producer. And I was looking at different special effects, and they were they were relatively new starting out, so they were less expensive than the other ones. And then I, when I met Gabe, I got along great with him, and he did some clay molds, and uh, just we gelled. And he came up with what I thought, you know, we worked together and got a really great little clay mold leprechaun, and and um, and we used him. And he he worked within our budget, but he ended up being great, terrific. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have any personal favorite kills or, or uh, get like gags in the uh, in Leprechaun? Well, I always like the pogo stick. I agree. 
you know, I thought that was really, you know, sort of way over the top. Um, that to me, I, I always like uh, ripping eyeballs out when he rips the eyeball out of the cop after he killed him. But um, actually, I had a guy have his eyeball taken out in the opening of Rumpelstiltskin. I think I just I just repeat myself in every movie. <laughs> oh. that, you know, it's easier. But uh, I have to say the pogo stick, I think, uh, is, uh, yeah, probably, probably, uh, probably my favorite. I, I agree. A pogo stick's a pretty odd, and it's also very original. I can't remember ever seeing a pogo stick uh, killing anyone at anything prior to Leprechaun. I agree. I agree. I was. I was. Um, I was very. Ha- I was very proud of myself yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice contrast between something fun and something menacing. Yeah, and you know, you, you can't take yourself seriously. So that was my right. hope. Yes, that's my motto. Right. So uh, you mentioned him earlier, Mark Holton as Ozzy, as the uh, the mentally handicapped uh, character. There you go. Uh, what was he? There we go. Yeah. Well, what was he like to work with? He was great. You know, I was <clears throat> I was producing a show called Superboy, the second season, and we we were writing. Uh, I was a, the showrunner, the writer on it, and. Um, we used him in a Superboy episode. These were half-hour syndication, I think, around 1990. And he, uh, he, he, we got him. He played uh, Francis in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And um, I, you know, I said, "Oh God, I loved him." And so we, we, he did kind of a comedy character, but he was just a great actor. And we got, we got along great. And at the rap party at the end of the season, I said, "You know, I." I I'm writing a script, a horror script, and you'd be perfect for one of the characters. And, you know, it's like, you know, everybody at a rap party tells everybody else, oh, yeah, I've got this movie coming up. You're going to be great. So he he thought he'd never hear from me. And sure enough, I, I called him when I finished the script and I said, um, you want to do it? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. And again, I had to read him. You know, now th- there was nobody else I read for Ozzy. Mark Halton was perfect. And I said to them, He's going to work on a, you know, for our pay scale. He was, you know, Francis in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He's, you know, he's done other stuff. And and I said, who? And he and he looks perfect. And he's a great actor. And they wanted me to read him again against everybody and the kid, the little kid. And so, uh, but no, I I literally just wrote it with him in mind, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was um, William Sachs' involvement in Leprechaun? <laughs> you know, there's a story. William Sachs, I, I, I didn't meet William Sachs till after we shot the picture. And I don't know, I heard some stuff that he claims he he made the picture work. And uh, what happened, he came in in post-production. And, uh, you know, the Trimark brought him in uh, to basically handle post-production. Uh, you know, doing what... what you know what what they do and um i you know I, I i met him i mean i talked to him a couple of times and he was you know they were i was posting the picture i cut the picture and then i went off to do um uh you know to do, start uh, pre-prep on rumpelstiltskin but um i don't know i did an interview thing once and i watched it once and and, and william Sachs talked about he put the comedy in or something like that and and I and I'm going. I mean, every single thing was shot. He never was on the set. He he came in literally after we shot the picture, and then I heard him t- 
talking about he put comedy and actually what as I said before they took comedy out Trimark wanted it to be more horror you know so they thought it would be better and so um and then I don't know he, he I, he, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, he was just basically handled post-production, you know, the dub and all that stuff. I don't know. What did you, what did you hear? Uh, well, I actually am on the show and he said that, that, that he, that when he got the movie, it was a serious horror movie and that it didn't work. And so he added the comedy, which he's a very nice guy to me. So I don't, I don't say anything bad about, him. but it, that never made a lot of sense to me. Cause I don't see how, how any of that movie was even shot. If there was no comedy that, ever, that you you couldn't you can't put comedy in. You could take comedy out. Right, right. Well, I'll go I'll go on record, and uh, you know he seemed to be a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I didn't have that much interaction with him because I was moving on to another project, and they were finalizing all the the the, the final post and music stuff. Um, he uh, yeah no he did not do a thing. As a matter of fact, I actually wrote uh, had a, had a conversation with Mark Amin, the head of. Trimark and I said, you know, Mark, you got you want me to cut out this scene and this scene. There was some very funny scene. Uh, sort of, there was a great scene where Warwick, where they drove off in the truck before Warwick chases after him with the tricycle, and um, uh, as the truck drives away, we see these tire tracks in the dirt, and they start to wobble. And Warwick comes up from the ground like a cartoon. He he's got tire tracks all over him. Right. He was crushed into the thing, and then he runs to the tricycle and chases after the truck. They cut that out. They, they, they made me cut it out. And I'm going, okay, you know, they, they thought that was too comedy. So I can tell you absolute that, that Bill Sachs had nothing to do at all with any comedy, if anything. And I didn't, it wasn't his choice. He was just a post-production guy working for Trimark. They gave him right. a co-producer credit. He did not get a picture. It was my cut. Uh, you know, you talk to anybody. As a matter of fact, my DP was interviewed, uh, Levy Isaacs, who was great. Uh, and they interviewed us all separately. And I think uh, that's where I saw uh, uh, Sachs take, take some credit. And, and Levy, who didn't know, said, no, it was, we shot it. It was mine. Like I said, he was never on the set. Nothing was reshot. Um, they just, uh, he claims he made it funny and... There was, there, there, it was my cut. I mean, you know, they did some little clips here and there, as you do. Um, the studio has final cut. But, um, yeah, no, it's an absolute not truth. And I would love to go uh, get a podcast with, with um, uh, Bill Sachs and myself, and I'd love to talk to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't do it, and I don't know why he said it. Th- I know why he said it, because he, it became such a big hit. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to to sort of represent that he came in to save it, but it's not true. And I'm a very uh, easygoing guy, but uh, you know, look, that you know, for me to want to take credit for Leprechaun, it's not like it, it you know, it's 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 Schindler's List, right? You know, right. give me a break. It was my, you know, every shot, everything was in there. It even actually said that he had to redub, like part of Jennifer, like a lot of the actors' dialogue to get better performances. Those are those are the the. That was the soundtrack. That was a production sound. You can ask Jennifer. You can ask uh, Holton. It, it just it wasn't true. And you can't change performances. You can do a loop line here and there. But, yeah, I was, I was very upset when I heard that a number of years ago. And yeah. I just said, look, you know, Bill, go, go do your own movies and leave mine alone. 
and take credit for yours, but don't take credit for mine. So I'm very adamant about that, you know. No, I, would, I totally understand. It's your thing, you know. So uh, when um, when you did Rumpelstiltskin, uh, what was that like to, to – how did that come about to begin well, with? Well, I had actually wrote a spec script uh, with Joe Ruby, who uh, was the head of Ruby Spears, which anybody maybe 50 or under knows all of their shows from oh, yes. Star to uh, 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 I'm forgetting them all, you know, Puppies, New Adventures, Fang Face, Rickety Rocket. These are shows that I actually d- developed and wrote the pilots for. Uh, not Thundar, but um, so I worked with, at Ruby Spears for a lot, you know, a few years in animation, and we stayed good friends. So we decided to write Rumpelstiltskin, and um, I got it. My friend uh, knew the president of Dino De Laurentiis's company, and said Dino's kind of not doing anything. He's 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 got you know he's big studio, but he has nothing on the boards, and he was thinking of doing a, a lower budget movie. And, and maybe he'd want to do this horror movie. So the script got sent to Dino. And like three days later, at 7.30 in the morning, I get a phone call. No secretary, just Dino De Laurentiis calling me at home. Wow. And I'm trying to act like I'm not asleep. <laughs> and he says, uh, he's a little Italian guy. And he said, uh, Mark, can you come tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock? I'd like to talk to you about your script. I said, sure. And basically came in. He said, give me a budget. We gave him about a uh, $3 million budget, which was really a good budget back in 95. And uh, he said, okay. And he was great. He was the best I've ever had as far as working with anybody. He, he, was, he respected directors. He, wor- he worked with Academy Award winning directors. And, and he treated me just like I was the biggest director in town. And, you know, once he approved the script, he said, go make the movie. And he, he left me alone. And, and, um, he was great. He's great to work with. And I, I feel honored. I was able to actually do a picture with that guy. So did you start writing that like, uh, before Leprechaun had come out or was Leprechaun already out? There was a, about a year delay in Leprechaun. You know, they, Trimark was wanting to go theatrical. I think they had done a one small little theatrical and they kept testing the picture. The reason it took so long is they kept testing it. See, they were going to go direct-to-video with the picture. Yeah, you figured it's, you know, $950,000 direct-to-video movie. And the testing came out so well that they said, wait, we, we, might, we might be able to go theatrical. And so it did test well, and, and they said, we're going to do it. So they had to clear the slate, and they couldn't go against the big studio pictures. So the best time to come out is, is they thought, uh, <coughs> excuse me, was January. Of, of 93, which is what they did. So it kind of sat on the shelf for about eight months until they got the release date and they went theatrical and it was a pretty big theatrical and it went all over the country and it, and it, and it made it a huge hit for them. It was their biggest hit and they ended up selling VHSs in those days, you know, like 250,000 VHSs at 50 bucks a pop profit. So they, the movie made millions profit for them. And, um, so that's um uh if that answered your question yeah i was just wondering because like you said uh you were doing rumpelstiltskin when they're talking about doing the sequel so oh i'm sorry uh, i completely lost a uh, train of thought uh yeah no i in that in waiting for that release i ended up writing rumpelstiltskin yeah i said you know what i can make another horror movie and i i sort of just came up with this idea and so i wrote it on spec mm-hmm. and, and you know, made it and bought it yeah 
Because that second Leprechaun, you know, date-wise on AMDB is like the very next year. So they had to really get that put together, you know, uh, fast to do a sequel so quick. Well, what they did is during the during the window of waiting, because we shot Leprechaun at the end of 91. Okay. So, and it had been finished posting um, probably by, by 90, the beginning of 92, um, you know, outside of, Bill Sachs, you know, shooting all that extra comedy stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so there was a window and they were they were prepping because I was part of uh, 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 developing number two. Mm-hmm. So I was still there developing number two. I was actually going to direct number two. Mm-hmm. And but they had me in a deal and I was locked into that deal. And Dino ended up offering me a much better deal and i said look guys you know you probably you know want to go with somebody that you can have a little more control over and you know i don't need to direct number two i'd rather go do a new franchise so that's how that came about so um so i worked a little bit on the very beginning of development of number two and, and got a producer credit but um it was pretty much trimark's uh uh they did what they wanted to do i i, I wanted to have warwick Warwick's wife, uh, the leprechaun's wife, come looking for him mm. and drag him out of the well because there's never been a female leprechaun. Yeah. And, I've, I, and I want to I want to get the rights to that because I, I had that from the day one. I said, let's and it would be Warwick and drag. <laughs> and it would be great. And Warwick actually liked the idea. Uh-huh. So he'd be this. I love that idea. Who wants to get revenge for uh, for some for people killing her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, but. Uh, you know, no, you know, studios never listen to the creators and the original guys. They always want to do their version. God bless. Them. Yeah. But uh, but I'm I'm open to do that if if Lionsgate is listening. They they can go ahead and you know I I, I can I can I can do a great uh, a female Leprechaun, which yeah. I think would get a whole new audience. Yeah, the Bride of Leprechaun. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, look, it worked for Chucky. Exactly. It worked yeah. for Frankenstein. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they not to do it. They'll they'll end up doing it and then they'll say they came up with it. Yeah. When you talk about that, like the studio, you know, they want to do their own thing. Is that always like hard to deal with someone who's like on the artistic end dealing with people that are on uh, a financial end or something? Because I would assume the people who are really into the business side aren't necessarily creative. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I, I there's a lot of nice guys. I mean, you know if I ever write a book, I, then it would be really juicy. But, you know, there were executives who really, you know, they, they saw something in Leprechaun. There were, there were executives that came in and got credits on the picture after the picture was shot, but they said, Oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be a big one. So they all started throwing their names on it. Meanwhile, I, you know, never even met them while I was shooting it, but there were, they always made decisions based on committee you know, not gut instinct. I mean, the whole reason I shot Leprechaun the way I did, which was a little bit unique, was I had my gut instinct to say, let's do a cartoon, Scooby-Doo horror. And they, they're they very pragmatic by the numbers. You know, we sold these many videos of this horror movie, so let's do one like this. Yeah, I found it a little difficult. Um, I think half of, of Trimark executives wanted to fire me after the second day. The other half loved me. Um, Mark Amin, who was the, the top dog, and he was fine. And he, he, in all in all respect to him, 
you know, he kind of got what I was doing, but still didn't, didn't kind of let me go all the way that I wanted to go. Um, they, they, it's a numbers game with them, you know? And yeah, I, I, I think that's true with anybody. The executives, they think they're creative and they're not the, in my opinion, the truly only creative person or the, or the hardest creative work in this business is writing. Writing's much harder than directing. Directing is easy compared to writing. Uh, and directing's more fun. Writing is horrible. You're sitting all by yourself with a little computer, and it's miserable. But it is the power, and it is, I think, the true creation. So, uh, yeah, most executives all, always think that they're writers, and they're not. So, Now, now are you a horror movie fan? Because you said, you know, you come from the cartoons, and you wanted to put cartoon stuff in the... Uh and leprechauns but uh, do you like horror movies yeah i love horror movies i mean i love all kinds I mean, i'm very eclectic you know i wasn't like like i mean as a kid you know the hunchback of notre dame which i wouldn't really call a horror movie but it was you know 1939 is a great movie but i i watched the frankenstein and mummy and you know i like critters and i liked uh, chucky and you know uh i tend to like the fun horror movies i don't take them too serious um the straight ahead, you know, kids running in the woods and being hacked up, you know, we see so many of those. But, uh, you know, I, I watch everything. I liked Halloween, the first Halloween. You know, the first uh, Last House on the Left was great. I watched yeah, that as a very good movie. young. I, that was a really – and they shot that, I think, in 16-millimeter. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I definitely love horror, but I'm really a fan of a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, I am too. I mean, we do the horror movie show, but uh, we we both like just movies in general. Do you do you remember what it was that made you want to like get into movies? Well, as a kid, <coughs> excuse me again. As a kid, I always made my own sixteen millimeter films. I had a Bolex camera in high school, and I just always loved the idea of movies and shooting and cutting your film. and And so, uh, I didn't have any family uh, in the business. Uh, they were all educated people. I was sort of the black sheep. And I just loved animation also. So uh, since I really wasn't a very good student and barely got out of high school, I got into the uh, I got into an animation studio called the Patty Freeling. Um, for, and I would do Xeroxing the animation drawings onto the clear cells uh, for Saturday morning cartoons. And then I would go up and visit all the writers. And I would say, you know, I'd read their scripts and... And talk to them, and they all said, "If you, you know, don't become an animator. They, they don't, they don't make the money. They're, they're geniuses, but become a writer, you know, because I wanted to actually be an artist, but I'm not a good enough artist. So they said, become a writer, and that's how I, I, I then wrote a spec script, and the student filmation studios bought it, and then Hanna Barbera. I went to work on Super Friends and oh, all, awesome. and then Dynamite Dog Wonder, and all those shows in the in the late '70s, early '80s, and so with always the caveat, I wanted to direct, but so I wanted to get into live action. And then I, Glenn, Glenn Larson, Glenn A. Larson brought me into prime time, BJ and the bear, Sheriff Lobo, fall yeah. guy. And, uh, and then Stephen J. Cannell brought me over and I did the A team and Hunter and Riptide and, and a bunch of shows for him as a writer. Um, and always wanted to direct and sort of, you know, instead of, because I started producing some TV shows as a producer writer, 
And I said, you know what, I'm losing sight that I want to direct. And, and I, I could have done TV, but I was getting really, I wanted to do a movie. And so I, after Superboy, um, I just decided I got I to gotta go become a director. So I wrote this script. I know that the, the horror was popular and I know they would have given me, you know, it's a low budget movie. And, um, and that's how I got uh, my first directing assignment. And that was, that was uh, always what I wanted to do. So it, you know, it took me, you know, a good 15 years before I actually did my first directing. Uh, but, uh, but I had a good career before that just from yeah. writing, but my love was directing. Yeah. Uh, do you still, um, besides, um, uh, the Leprechaun Vampire movie, uh, what is it called? Vampircon. Vampircon, which is amazing. Actually, someone even asked about it on Facebook. I just noticed it. But, oh. um, but, uh, uh, besides that, have you been writing any other scripts? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I did. I actually, um, I've had some, uh, developments. I actually developed a, a couple of cartoon shows that were in the process of in development, which in, in this town means it, it might or might not ever sell, but we're, you know, we're, 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 we're doing, we're in, in full development on that. Um, I wrote a pilot, uh, actually a comedy pilot, uh, sort of a cable, sort of an edgy comedy. Uh, and I have another script that I'm working on now during this whole quarantine. I figure this is the best time it's to sit. Time. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and so that, that will be a completely different, uh, mode for me. It will be sort of in the vein of, um, uh, uh, uh leaving Las Vegas sling blade. Leave us, all right. That's a, that's an interesting, uh, combination. <laughs> completely different and and it maybe will give put my whole career in another direction mm-hmm. so i'll go from from a leaving las vegas movie back to vampircon right. being that eclectic <laughs> I, I i am i am totally into the idea yeah like, absolutely yeah yeah I, I i like to surprise people though they won't believe it's the same mark jones mm-hmm. hopefully yes so let's see here. A lot of people ask stuff that we already talked about. A lot of people ask about uh, origins. Uh, Duckman wants to know, did you do any research into Irish and Celtic mythology to write Leprechaun? That's a good question. I kind of did. <clears throat> uh, the first Leprechaun script was actually written, I think, in 1988, 89. So I went to the library in those days. We didn't have internet. And I got books on goblins and fairies and everything. And I I noticed that kind of leprechauns, not from the commercials, but the true histories, they were kind of not not that nice. They were a little devious. They were pranksters, and sometimes they, they their pranks would kill you. And then they were shoemakers. They were cobblers. So I used that, of course, in uh, in the yeah. first leprechaun where he they throw the shoes um, and he chases after him. So I did. I did research and. Got, took little bits and pieces of folklore. Uh, I always remember that a leprechaun was a, um, uh, their mother was a demented fairy and their father was something else. So that's what I remember. So they were a combination, because I, I, I wonder who their parents were, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a demented fairy and some goblin. It creates a, a leprechaun. But oh, So I did do some research. Hmm, interesting. That, um do you get uh, when people make like uh, leprechaun merchandise? Uh, do you get any part of that? Well, I should. You should, uh, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I I should I should get a lot of money from Lionsgate, and 
we have um, we've had a few conversations, and my attorneys have had a few conversations with them. Okay. And yes, yes, uh, as a creator, I have ownership of those things. I get a piece of merchandising and everything. But um, you know, I if it's not merchandising that Lionsgate has commissioned. Uh -huh. And people sometimes do their own merchandising, and they're not they're not going to send me the money. Right, right. But um, yes, the answer is yes. And I, I wish there was more. Uh, they should have made a video game of uh, Leprechaun in, in the beginning. They they that were talking about it. Um, you know, find your hundred pieces of gold, and you know. Uh, but yeah, and I, and I and I do get I, I do get monies throughout the year, mm -hmm. residuals and and certain little pieces, but. Not, not what they owe me. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a classic victim of Hollywood accounting. Yeah, familiar with that. They, they've made eight pictures and they've made millions of dollars, and they keep saying, "Well, we really haven't made that much profit." So, well, but they keep making the movies. Yeah, yeah they said we lose money on every movie, but we're going to keep making eight of them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up to them. They're gonna, they're gonna. I'm sure they will, they will be fair and equitable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How I don't normally talk about like finance on the show, but how has that changed over the over the years from you know selling VHS tapes to you know like you said make fifty dollars profit on each one to modern and then from DVDs to modern day where it's streaming where people pay you know seven ninety nine a month for you know Netflix or something and there's a hundred thousand movies on there. Yeah, I mean it's really changed. The reason they would make movies all day long for a million dollars in the eighties and nineties because. If you did fifty thousand VHSs and you would and 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 the stores would buy them for like sixty five seventy dollars and rent them out, well, you would make about forty five or fifty dollars profit. The the distributors, so you know, fifty thousand VHSs is two and a half million dollars. So if you had a a good poster and you did a half a million dollar movie and it wasn't even that good, but it looked good on the video box, uh, you'd sell you know, 40, 50,000 VHSs. Mm -hmm. So they were making these movies all day long and, and there was a great profit. Now with streaming, the DVDs are pretty much gone. And so you have to stream and Apple and iTunes. So what they're doing is the pictures that we were getting a million dollars to make in the nineties, mm -hmm. they're making for 250, $350,000. Now they're making all these Real, real low-budget horror movies that are streaming, and they're 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 not not WGA, they're not DGA, they're barely SAG, and they shoot them in ten days, and they they put them out, and because there's just not the profit margin unless you have a theatrical. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will change now. I think more people are going to op open streaming first run. You know, they're going to advertise yeah. open this Friday. As a matter of fact, what they're doing now. With this quarantine stuff, is instead of going to theaters, they're just going to open for twenty bucks on Friday on on streaming, and that will change things, and you might be able to um, resurrect it. But right now, um, there, you just it's hard to make a million, two million dollar movie because the revenue isn't there unless you have a big star or you have some kind of theatrical. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these direct to streaming movies. Um, other than Netflix, Netflix will make them, but they make them with big writers and directors. Right, yeah. But, um, you know, to, to sell off a movie to Netflix, that, the reason Leprechaun isn't on Netflix is they still make much more money uh, on sci-fi network and played it all over the country. 
uh, Netflix might give you 25 grand for a movie and that's it. And it's in their library for 10 years. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to get that million dollar area. I mean, people come to me all the time and say, Hey, we'd like to make a horror movie. We got, you know, 400 grand and I'm going 400 grand. I mean, you know, it's like, not that I'm spoiled, you know, with a couple million dollar movies, but it's really, you got to make them like guerrilla style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what they're doing. So it's, it, the industry has to change a little bit and it's getting there. Mm-hmm. It's getting there. Yeah, a lot of my filmmaker friends are the same kind of. I they say either have to be able to make you know like a Marvel, you know, like a two hundred million dollar movie, right. or like a super low budget. The mid movies are just basically non-existent right now. No, I, I finished a movie. My last movie was Scorn. It came out in two thousand fifteen uh, with Billy Zane and Annalyn McCord. Uh, it's a, a good little thriller, a little different for me, and uh, and uh, uh, Anchor Bay. We shot that for close to one seven. And after we did it, Anchor Bay said, you know, no, nothing wrong with the movie. It was great. We loved it. But pretty much that's the last time your, your movie is the last movie that we're going to put this kind of money into because the, unless it goes theatrical and these are not, you know, you need 40, 50 million to get in the theaters, uh, the money, the revenue is just not there. And Anchor Bay pretty much went out of business. I, I think it was my picture that put them out of business, but, <laughs> but they're no longer around. But. Uh-huh. People were telling me, you got 1.7, you were very lucky. And, you know, to try to try to get a non-theatrical movie for, you know, a million, a million and a half dollars is very hard. Mm-hmm. So you have the poster behind you for people who can't see. So everyone but but Troy and I is uh, for Triloquist. So, uh, yeah. so uh, it's a very, I'm a, I took a screen capture because it's very cool. Uh, okay, sure. Was yeah, sure. So what is it about Triloquist that, you know, you have the poster on your wall? So it must be special for to you. Well, I actually have a Leprechaun poster outside my office. All right, all right. And, and Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. But this just happens to be behind this chair and this uh-huh. and, and where the couch is. Um, but, uh, no, it was a fun little picture. It was really kind of crazy. And uh, this was, that was almost a horror story in, in dealing and getting that made. But... Um, uh, we had, we had people in there that, that shouldn't have, shouldn't have been involved and, you know, uh, seems to happen in low budget movies, but that was, uh, that was close to a million dollars. And, um, my only disappointment was the Weinsteins bought it that for, for dimension extreme. Uh, we, we had independent money, we made it and they made the movie and it was kind of eclectic and weird and everything. And then when they put it out and they were supposed to let me cut what had to be cut to get the R rating. Cause the ratings board sometimes would give it to you. And somehow it got by, it didn't come to me and they did a cut where they cut out stuff because they thought it was too graphic and some of the lines of dialogue. And I could have easily have cut it and, and not had hurt the picture. And so there's things that just don't quite pay off in here and there. And it was, that was very disappointed. And, and there was like, this person didn't know what happened and it was too late. They had already put it out on DVD and VHS. I mean, it, it actually, uh, I think it came out in 08 and it, um, it was one of the last releases in, in blockbuster at the time they had a bunch of DVDs and stuff. But, um, you know, the, I, I just wish that they would have 
I don't know why they ended up cutting some of the stuff out. It was literally just clips. Like they had a an editor clip it, and it was seeing what's on TV now. It really wasn't that risque. So that was that was the only thing that I was a little disappointed in. But it was a it's a cute movie. It's a it's a weird movie, very bizarre movie. Yeah. I have to admit, I've not seen Triloquist, but I, I do want to see it from the pictures. And uh, you said about small people uh, freaking you out when you were young. Uh, ventriloquist dummies are always have always been scary to me, the, especially the ever since Magic, the uh, the Anthony Hopkins movie. I think that's was always the scariest trailer to me when well, I was a little kid. It's funny you mentioned that. That's the movie that sort of inspired me to write Triloquist. Oh, okay. Oh, no kidding! Wow. <laughs> yeah, that that. that uh, Laser that trailer would scare the shit out of Neil when he was a kid. <laughs> I I bought the laser disc in of Magic. Believe it or not, remember those mm-hmm. big laser oh, yeah. discs? Oh so, yeah, yeah. We made the dummy. The dummy is uh, oh, it's in the other room. I should have had the Triloquist dummy. It could be sitting on my lap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a that was a yeah. We shot that in thirty five millimeter. Oh we wow. Were, the the only picture that I actually did digital was my last one scorned. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. I, all my pictures I shot in thirty five, which I, I tell the young filmmakers, and they're all like jealous. Oh my god, you got to shoot on thirty five millimeter. It's funny. You see, I laugh because like all my friends who make movies, they always want to want to make a movie in uh, in thirty five millimeter here yeah, in film. But what are the differences when you do make a movie uh, in film as opposed to making digital? Well, you know, <clears throat> I was really talked in. My DP, Mark Melville, who actually, he was the DP of Triloquist. He was also the DP on um, Scorn. He's a great DP. And I said, shouldn't we shoot on 35? And he goes, Mark, he said, you know, they've kind of perfected the cameras. We had the best. We had the uh, Lexus, the Area Alexa cameras. And he said, they're really good. They look like film. They're really getting there. And I said to him, you know, Everything is trying to look like film, but there's something out there that looks like film, and it's called film. And But the the convenience, I will say, of we were shooting in Ohio in a small little town, to have to sh- ship in 1,000-foot film cans, uh, shoot them, uh, send them to the labs in New York, can't wait a day and a half for dailies to come back. I mean, there's something very immediate, very quick about shooting digital, and Scorn is a really nice looking picture. It really is. And um, especially the Blu-ray, it, 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 it's, you know, it was very convenient. And I found the one difference, it wasn't any difference in speed or lighting or anything, but I found that I could run two cameras a lot easier. And maybe it had to do because you didn't have to worry about rolling out your film and, and the cameras are smaller. And so I could, I could, you know, I could grab a close-up if I'm shooting a two-shot or a master. I could have another camera. We had two cameras. And I found that I could shoot multiple cameras a little easier, and it just made the coverage go a little faster. Um, but, I, you know, if I had my druthers, I still love film. I mean, there's something, you know, look, the big guys still use film. Quentin Tarantino, Spielberg, yeah. all these guys. There, There's something magical about running physical film stock through a through a mechanical thing i just you know yeah but but the digital's great i mean you can get some great looking stuff mm-hmm. uh, and and it's you know it it's quicker yeah yeah i have to i uh, mentioned sadie katz because i've had her on many times and the first time i talked to her i'm sorry uh, she uh-huh. brought 
she brought up that uh, that she was friends with Mark Jones, who wrote uh, Leprechaun. And I was like, well, that's very cool. And so, uh, so anyway, what's the history of Sadie Katz? Sadie Katz and I have known each other for 10 years, 15 years. No, I met her in like 02. Is that oh, all? Wow. 15 years? No, Sadie's great. Uh, actually, I met her. She was uh, uh, working as an assistant for a short while for Glenn Larson, the big TV creator. And I knew Glenn. I stayed friends with him. So I met her. Um, Sadie's great. We have mutual friends. Uh, we're still friends. I, she she calls me now, uh, you know, every every couple of days to to make sure I haven't caught the virus. Mm, that's it's Sadie. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. We're going to get through <laughs> this. Um, but we, uh, yeah, we would we would. She was she's a lot of fun. She's crazy and she's a nut in a loving way. But we wrote Scorn together. I don't know if she mentioned that. Oh, she did not mention that. Of course, she didn't mention. Anyway, we wrote Scorn <laughs> together and. Um, she actually has a little part, a little cameo at the end as a waitress. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, she, we, we sort of just, uh, it's, a, it's a girl and a guy go away for the weekend and the girl finds out the guy's been cheating with her best friend. And so she ties him up and gets her best friend there and tortures him for the weekend. So it's uh-huh. like misery with young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we, we wrote that and, um, uh, and Sadie has done, you know, she's off doing stuff. She just, she has a movie, I guess, clown fear coming out. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's great. She just, she just keeps going. And, and, um, I, I, we, we, we've, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of us would, you, you get together with Sadie and, and get a, a little bit of whiskey in her and you just, <laughs> we just sit back and watch. Uh huh. Yeah, I've uh, I met her for the first time in uh, in um, December when I was out for her uh, Hanukkah premiere in, in L.A. And uh, uh, I want to say talk about her because I, I like her a lot too. But yeah, she she had a, a little bit of whiskey, I believe, uh, during the premiere. I'll just say yeah. that. But it was, but she's very fun. Yes. I think I, I I had a key a key mark on my 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 car at one point, and I'm I'm and Sadie denies it was her, but I think we we. I think the jury's out. It could have been Sadie. So, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But she's yeah, uh, yeah. great. She's fun. I mean, I, I talk to her all the time. Yeah, I like her a lot too. So, uh, so you're at home. You're we're all supposed to be at home anyway for quarantine. What have you been doing besides writing? Uh, you know, I'm watching a lot of uh, uh, old Alfred Hitchcock presents and just about uh, anything oh, I nice. get my hands on. Um, you know, I'm an optimist. I think. I think we're overreacting a little bit and I'm, I'm actually thinking it's going to be fine. And it seems that, uh, they just said tomorrow that it's mandatory for people in LA to wear the mask. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you. I just, you know, my friends and I are going, I, 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 I can't, I, I mean, I'm not going to go out and give it to anybody, but it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to get behind. Really? We got to wear masks, yep. you know? And it's like, you know, I'm I'm in the house. Uh, I'm I've got uh, I got my two cats and my cigars and um, a little whiskey, uh, which uh, seems seems to be the go-to now. You know, I, I think I, I never drank like I have in the last week. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's nothing else to do. You know, I was, you know I was always a, you know a couple of glasses of wine and you know three or four times a week, and I'm fine now. All of a sudden, I'm you know, friends are coming by, and we're 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 six feet, ten feet apart, and we're drinking uh-huh. and smoking cigars. But uh, yeah, I think we'll get. I mean, I think we'll get through it, and uh, it should be, you know, uh, 
Uh, I don't think it's going to be as bad as they anticipate, but, but that's always better to anticipate worse and not have as bad. But, that's that's right. very true. Yeah, it's and, great. Uh, and then yeah. don't put me into conspiracies with where this came from. Mm. Oh, uh, you're not a five G guy, are you? Uh, not completely. I don't know. Uh -huh. I think about that. I don't trust China. I will say that. China, I don't know why anybody would believe what China says is the truth. I just don't believe them. I'm not saying that they made it and gave it to us, but don't take their statistics and, and, and they say these many people, you know, you can't. They're, they're a very totalitarian, strange place and they're just very much in the world because they're manufacturing and stuff. But as far as trusting them, I just don't trust them. I, I trust our guys. Our scientists will let us know. Yeah. And it, well, see, I always try to be positive. So here's a positive uh, lining here is uh, while you're in quarantine, you picked up a drinking habit and smoking habit. So, <laughs> you always look on the plus side. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I can only get a girl over here, I'd be set. <laughs> you got, yeah, two out of the three working there. Exactly. You know, so. <laughs> what kind of whiskey? I, I don't drink anymore. I picked you know a bad what? time to start drinking. But I used to drink bourbon. Uh, four Roses. Oh, okay, nice. so that's Good a bourbon, stuff. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a, a soft. It's a nice bourbon that, you know, that's that's what I you know I just somebody somebody actually gave it to me and I figured out I'll I'll open it up on this uh, for this interview. Yeah, nice. Yeah. All right, we feel honored then. I do. Yeah, I went on the bourbon trail a few years ago in Kentucky. And uh, that was a good time. You go to all the different uh, bourbon distilleries, and uh, they take you on a tour. And the best part is at the end, they give you uh, a bunch of uh, shots of all their different uh, bourbons. I heard about that, yeah. 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 The only part that is strange is then the very last thing is you drink the shots of bourbon, and then they just tell you to leave. And basically, you have to drive miles to the next <laughs> one. It almost like yeah. promotes... Uh, well, well, it's uh, Kentucky. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. it doesn't matter. In Kentucky, they don't give you a driver's license unless you show up at the DMV with an alcohol content of 08. <laughs> or, so. right, that's a mandatory thing in Kentucky. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's yeah. where I had I had real uh, moonshine. I don't know if I should talk about it on the show, but someone brought me moonshine that was made like up in the mountains somewhere, and it came in a mason jar. It wasn't store-bought moonshine. I had the same thing from Tennessee mm -hmm. in a mason Yes, somebody... Yeah. At their house, and I and I tried it, and it was uh, it was interesting to say the least. It was much smoother than I was expecting it yeah. to be. Weren't oh. you? You were expecting this harsh thing? <laughs> yeah, and it's like a hundred and twenty proof or something. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't make a night of drinking that. One or two steps. <laughs> yeah, I actually drank three quarters of the jar, and then. Uh, my friends told me I was flying down the hallway in the in the hotel, like saying I was an airplane. So apparently, was, oh yeah, yeah, was, I've, uh, I've been there a few times. Yeah, yeah, but I don't do that anymore. No, sure. no, we we unfortunately we, we mature. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. that, but yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll go with that. Get older. We just get older. We don't get older. <laughs> right. Right. Where could uh, are you? Are you on social media at all for people to follow you? Uh. You know what? I know everybody tells me this. I, well, I got on Twitter like, I don't know, six months ago, and I put something. The guy got me on it, and they, he's an internet guy, and a boom, and I put something out, and Sadie befriended me and other people. And then I just, I, you know, I just, I'm not, uh, and actually, I, and I haven't done anything since. So, uh, but, you know, I'm on Facebook, um, but uh, I don't, I don't interact. You know, I, I look at my timeline and stuff like that. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, emailing me is the easiest way. I guess IMDB has my email address. But um, uh, no, I don't, and I should. And everybody yells at me that I don't have more social media um, presence. And um, It's what all the kids like. I know, I know. Sadie beats me up about that. Uh-huh. So you gotta get on there. You gotta get on there. And I go, well, I'll get, I'll get a, my next big picture, and then I'll do it. So there we'll you see. go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like that. So it's been, but it's really fun. been great to talk with you. I've had a lot oh, of fun. Definitely has. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you guys even uh, remembering who I am. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. I, you know, every, I, does this come up every? I'm, I imagine every year around St. Patrick's Day, do you get a lot of emails asking about uh, Leprechaun? I get some, I get some, you know, they had a, a, a 25th anniversary uh, two years ago at the band's Chinese in yeah. Hollywood, and they called me up. It was a, a, a horror thing that does these things, and it was a, a Friday, and I was, like, embarrassed. I didn't know if I wanted, they wanted me to go a question and answer after the thing, and I thought, you know, it's a big theater. There's going to be, like, four people, and three of them are going to be my friends, and I'm going to be embarrassed. <laughs> and, and and I'm saying this in, in all humbleness. I, I I went and they had sold out. And oh, wow. there were people like waiting to get my autograph and, and, and talk to me and, and and they were all young people. They were like, you know, in their twenties and thirties, a lot of them. And, you know, it was a I don't know, four hundred plus theater and it was packed and, and then we had a question and answer thing at the end and it was it was it was quite quite fun. So I, I more and more of that is coming up, um, and I, I like doing that stuff actually. Yeah, because I know uh, uh, when things are normal, one of the uh, theater I'm at, we're in Massachusetts, up in uh, Brookline near Boston, uh, they show a lot of old movies in, in 35 millimeter, and uh, every every year around St. Patrick's Day, that's like one of the midnight movies they show is uh, is is uh, Leprechaun. Oh well, I had a 35 millimeter print. Of Leprechaun, I don't know where it went. Maybe it went to that theater because mm. I can't find it. I looked in my storage, and I'm going. I have Rumpelstiltskin, and I and I had Leprechaun. I don't know what happened to that Leprechaun print. Isn't that funny? Yeah, but there's one out around. I will ask. Well, I was just. I'll ask Mark. Mark is the guy who owns. Uh, well, Ronnie doesn't own the theater, but he runs the uh, the midnight movie. I'll say, send back your copy of uh, Leprechaun. <laughs> Look, I'm just glad it's still out there. <laughs> Very true. I, I, well, uh, Lionsgate owns the negative because they made high def. Uh, they made Blu-rays uh, a couple of years ago, so they had to go to the original negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we cut that on a movieola. On a movieola. If you remember what those are, I don't know what a moviola is. Moviola is the where you put the thirty-five millimeter film in a little, and you look at a little window. Oh, okay, yeah. And you have to put the magnetic strip for the sound. It's the old school. It's they like in the thirties. That's now they used to edit. They didn't really go to digital editing till probably I'm going to say really two thousand. Wow. Jeez, if you think you hate editing now, Neil, can you imagine that? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Do you do, you do your own editing normally? Uh, I No, I always have an editor. Like my last editor, John Blazak, who's great. I would use him on anything. He edited Scorn. I love an editor to take my film and assemble it. Uh-huh. You know, they have the script. But I want to see what he does. I don't ever stay on top i don't do a first cut i want an editor to do it because they they will see things that i don't and they don't have any preconceived notions and then once he does his assembly so to speak or his cut 
then I get very involved and I do sit with him, uh, uh, you know, every day and, and cut and, you know, you know, his are the, he's the hands, but I'm very hands on in editing because I, I learned, I learned editing because when I was writing and producing television, that's what we would do. We would sort of directors wouldn't really come in on television. They just shoot it and go to the next episode. So we would really edit. And so I learned editing, which I think made me a better director because I knew about cuts and coverages and all that. So I'm, I'm very, very uh, engrossed in post and, and editing. Uh, but I always like an editor to do it first. Um, yeah, I would think on your own stuff, in my in my mind anyway, I don't know, it would be like uh, when you're editing your own things, you'd be like, a lot of it would be like, I have a personal memory of making this and like it was fun to do. And so it might be hard to cut out even if it necessarily doesn't fit in the story. Uh, so I do think like having an editor, like you're saying, to do the first cut makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, but I will say I'm very, very good at cutting. I'm one of the few directors that gets rid of stuff. Right. It's like, let's throw it out. Great camera move, a great scene. And I go, you know what? It doesn't move the story because I learn I'm a writer first. Right. I wrote before I, I directed. So I always have that writer instinct. I can look at a film like I didn't direct it and I can look at it and say, you know what? We, we don't need this scene. Let's jump from A to D. We don't need in between. So, you know, most of my movies come out short. Because I cut everything out, and like people are going, Mark, you you you're, you're the only director that like cuts everything, mm -hmm. and um, I have no mercy. But I I really like pacing, and I like I like to tell the story, and I I, I don't get bogged down. So I'm actually pretty good at at being self aware, uh, but but I just find that I, I don't want to literally sit down and do the first edit. I, I want an editor to you know because sometimes they 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 find things that are magical. Mm -hmm. never knew you had in your coverage yeah and good editors can do that mm -hmm. good all right well uh had a great time with you and we'd like to do it again sometime maybe when um vampircon i keep wanting to say leper of pyre that doesn't make sense no. uh, <laughs> vampircon first so it's vampircon vampircon which i v love the name p-r-e-c-h-a-u-n vampircon yeah and um, i was yeah, and uh, Zeb Godin, who's an upcoming filmmaker um, who just made uh, Blood Rites of the Vampire, he uh, he wanted to ask about uh, VampireCon, so I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah, well, we'll we we'll should um, we'll have you do our live live remote podcast from the set when we start shooting. I would to be totally oh, unbelievable. That'd be fantastic. Yes, I love yeah. it. Or you do a podcast with the live behind the scenes as we're shooting. Yeah, that would be great. I would be totally on board. I just want uh, to yeah, I would love that. It was uh, just a real quick uh, thing. Was uh, in in December when I was out in L.A. We were doing our first. Um, I was on my first feature film, and they asked me to, when uh, if I'd come out and if I would also do P B the BTS footage, and I was like certainly. But I had no idea what that meant. So I, had to, <laughs> so so I went behind so, the scenes, right? But I didn't know at the time. But I just agreed to it because I assumed uh, I, might, I should probably agree to anything people ask me to do, and then I could look it up afterwards and yeah, find out. I, what I, I learned a long time ago: say yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get hurt. You'll never get hurt. Uh, you know, I if I had to look back, I'd say you know there a lot of pictures I didn't do or I didn't. It wasn't my script, and I turned it down. You know what? I should have done them all. But it's okay. We're 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 still going. Right, exactly. There's still time to do it. Yeah. Exactly.
All right. Very good. Well, this has been great. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Hey, nice talking to you guys. I appreciate it. And uh, stay in touch. Uh, you got you got my cell number, I think I left for you. Yeah. 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 So, so I'll know. be bothering you all the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I don't think text you. Don't, you can text me anytime. All right. Very awesome. Good. This is the station of decapitation <laughs> with, without your head. And I'm Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. During the quarantine here, I've, I've recorded many interviews, so I'm losing track of what I'm doing. <laughs> but we're joined by actor and filmmaker Larry Fessenden, and it's awesome to have him here because I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. Fantastic to be here. Yes. So your newest movie, Depraved, which I get to see at uh, Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival, which is a very long name. The festival, not Depraved. And uh, it was, it was, uh, well, I'm a huge fan of Frankenstein, so it was awesome to see a modern Frankenstein. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And uh, so, oh, first of all, oh, great. First of all, uh, talk where it was, uh, what is it about Frankenstein? From what I understand, you're a big fan of Frankenstein as well. So, what is it about Frankenstein that really appeals to you? Well, you know, like so many kids of my generation, I'm an older guy now, 50, late 50s, I guess. Uh, you know, I grew up in the 70s, and you'd see Frankenstein on television. Uh, and the original movie just blew my mind. And just the uh, the the character design, you know, the flat head, the bolts. I mean, none of it really made sense, but it was so iconic. <laughs> and then, you know, I was also surrounded by the Monsters and, and, and Famous Monsters of Filmland, which was a magazine that had a lot of these images. And, and I just... Loved the monster. And then, you know, when I was older, I read the book and it's famously slightly disappointing because it's not like the monster with the flat head. And, <laughs> but, right. you know, it has its own, you know, cool vibe. It's really about being an outsider. So all these things over the years. And then you see the Christopher Lee and then Robert De Niro, who I love because of Taxi Driver and 70s movies. Then he played Frankenstein, which is too good to be true. So, you know, that's a whole lifetime of excitement and love of this creature and this story. And then uh, I just wanted to spit out my own version. Mm-hmm. So how, how did you get, um, what word do you think Alex was right? Alex Bro, the actor plays, you know, the Frankenstein character, Adam, or the monster character. Uh, what, what made him right for that role? Well, I wanted something very physical. I wanted you to look at his physique. You know, I start him out, no clothes. He's got scars everywhere. He's bald. I mean, I really wanted it almost like a birth thing, but I wanted to emphasize the physicality. Like, what does it really mean sewn together by different body parts? So I was looking for an actor that would be really ripped. And, uh, you know, I saw an article about him in the, times and he was a young up-and-coming actor he'd been in a play and i liked i saw a picture of him and i just thought he might be the guy then when i auditioned him you know he had this really strange face and this whole strange quality also he was originally a jock before he became a an actor and he had a real dedication and i knew i could tell him to lose the weight and you know just to really be disciplined so all those things, plus, you know, he had a really large brow. Uh, everything about him was interesting, and his face, you know, the thing about Karloff, the reason Karloff is so cool, not only the makeup by Jack Pierce, but Karloff's initial features are so, uh, you know, cool, and that was something I found in Bro. He had just high cheekbones, 
this really weird extended brow. So, you know, it was sort of like I had to find something that was very special. I didn't want to just do it with makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the makeup does look, but you're right though. I mean, he, he's the, the makeup enhances him and uh, oh, I love the makeup and it, you really do pay attention to the idea that he is sewn together, which, which I like. Yeah. Sorry, man, but, but makeup by Brian Spears and Peter Gurner. These are dudes I've worked with for uh, over a decade and uh, they've done like 12 movies with my company glass. I picks and, you know, it was a real challenge. I, it's funny. They've done so well doing movies with us. that Now they're, uh, fucking, you know, on Marvel TV shows. And stuff. Oh, wow. Say, Brian, Brian, you gotta <laughs> wow. come back. You gotta come back to the fold. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the kids so, have grown very up. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, come back to the sandbox where you started. Um, but, you know, they really delivered. It was a little bit rushed in the whole thing, but, uh, you know, it was a great collaboration. I love those guys, and they really took it to heart. Yeah, I also like that he heals uh, through the movie. That the you know the scars, you know, uh, there's different levels. It's not just uh, this, you know. It it makes sense over time. He's his scars are starting to heal. Yeah, and then his hair grows, and he almost yeah. looks normal. But you know, the idea was to implant in the audience's mind, like, oh, he's totally weird. He's sort of a freak. Like, um, you know, he 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 is sewn together. But then you kind of he's humanized. And then, like, halfway through the movie, something happens so that you have a new experience with him. He sort of comes back vengeful. And so it's just trying to capture all the different versions of the emotion I had as a kid and, you know, uh, the emotion that the story has. You know, he's both an innocent and then he becomes a threat and then he's, you know, an outsider and, uh, and then he's a danger. All those things are in the book. They're in the movies in basically. So it's fun to try to capture all of this in my own story. Yeah. I mean, the Frankenstein's always been my favorite of the universal monster movies. And it's sad. It's like, cause he's not really a villain. He's, he, you know, he's, he's an outsider here and, uh, but he can't live in our world because, you know, he's dangerous to everybody. Exactly. And if you, you know, do make it through to the end of my somewhat long movie, that's the end is just, he's, he's banished and you realize whatever's happened and however much we liked him as the audience sort of following his journey, that was sort of what I did differently, uh, was all his journey. I'm not really with the doctor. Uh, you know, most of the stories start with the doctor and getting the bodies, but I start with waking up and you're the monster. And then, but by the end you realize you just won't fit. And that's kind of in a way how we all feel <laughs> it's yeah. to me. So the idea was you could really relate to that true archetype of the Frankenstein monster is that we're all born. We don't know why we were born into this family or this situation, this poverty level. And, and then, you know, you, you try to fit in and if you make a few mistakes, you'll be an outcast. And that's sort of the journey the movie takes. Mm-hmm. You said uh, earlier that uh, some of the things were rushed a little bit. So was there anything that you didn't get to film for uh, Depraved that you wanted to? No, but, you know, look, I tried to make this movie for years and I went to mm-hmm. Hollywood. I said, guys, you got to do this. This is going to be so cool. It's a, I don't know if I 
achieve this element. But in any case, I said a sexy Frankenstein, a modern Frankenstein. He's, you know, we're going to relate to him. It's going to be so great. You, you totally blew it with the Van Helsing movies. I mean, you know, those are okay on their way, but they're, they're not really, you don't feel for the monster and so on. No. Blah, 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 blah. I tried for fucking five, ten years, almost seven years uh, to, to make this movie. Eventually, I just said, I got to do this somehow. So I went in with a lower budget, and that's what I mean by rushed. Ironically, mm-hmm. I had all the time in the world, and yet when I finally said we're going to make it, I had like three months, and then I told Brian and, and Peter, you know, come on guys, let's do it. And everything sort of had to happen quickly. It's all fine. I'm not complaining, but that's a reality. And then even in making the film, there's a few things I would have done differently or better, but you know, budget is a problem. And, you know, I'm not a guy who pitches about budget because I, I believe in, you know, you want to make a movie, you've got to have the balls to do it and to get Mm -hmm. out there and, but you know, there. Are, let's be honest. There are restrictions. Uh, sure. So you know, some of that got in my way. But what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I loved it. And uh, uh, Zeb Godin, who's a, a filmmaker, is going to be on the show uh, later on tonight. Uh, he wanted to let me. Uh, he wanted me to tell you that um, Depraved moved him. He w- he was also in uh, in Buffalo, and he wants to know if the monster having a, a cataract is an homage to Christopher Lee and Curse of Frankenstein. Hundred percent. You tell him he's got it right on the nose. Yeah, that there's a lot nice. of uh, tribute in the in the makeup uh, to different, uh, you know, of of the various iconic monsters. And the the white eye was for Christopher Lee for sure. And then there's a little scar on his forehead that's for Karloff and um, uh, different different stuff. What I didn't do is some of the goofy shit like the De Niro makeup and couple of other frankensteins they just have scars all over the face and you're like what doctor would do this <laughs> like you're making your creation and you're like i know i'm gonna just cut up his face so he's gonna look completely ridiculous <laughs> i mean it's so so it's funny because with brian uh, my makeup guys i would there were certain things i would actually uh refrain from doing even though they might be cool i was like it's too silly we can't do that the other thing is we couldn't have the scar on the front of the head because the way you would do a brain transplant uh is you would cut around the back and fold the flesh forward so you know it's just funny sort of trying to find a balance between wanting your monster look like a monster but trying to be a little realistic to the situation yeah, yeah. So, what are your favorite um, adaptations of Frankenstein? Uh, well, I have to say Frankenstein, and then yeah. um, you know, and a lot of people say Bride Frankenstein is a better movie, but I always felt it was a little more campy, and I like the makeup, but I, I, I don't love that. I don't love the monster talking. Um, so it's really Frankenstein, and then you know, the weird thing is I like some of the later ones like when glenn strange played the monster that was kind of what i grew up as a kid he was a little more right robotic and you know it had a vibe so i always i liked all the black and whites all those and then um uh christopher lee wasn't my favorite didn't understand that makeup what i loved was peter cushing as the doctor <laughs> oh yeah um, yes, the man. and then uh it was a weird one in the 70s called uh Frankenstein, the true story with Michael Sarazen. I think it yeah, was, was so 
Yeah, I love that it was one really too. Epic at the time, it seemed so mm-hmm. epic, and they were really yeah. taking the story seriously. And that has this aspect that I use in my movie, where the the doctors try to teach the monster to. Um, so it kind of that's a big influence, and also that one, you know, he looks, he comes out, he looks great, and then he slowly decays. And yeah, I don't know. I, I felt that was very powerful when I was a teenager. That seemed cool, and it was on TV and all that. Yeah, um, I love James Mason in that one too. Is uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. And that's where I got my Polidori. I mean, we all know yeah. it comes from the, the the original Frankenstein, and he wrote the vampire story. But but yeah, it's from the James Mason as Polidori in that mm-hmm. is where. So, uh, and then you know the De Niro one intrigued me because, as I say, I love De Niro, and yeah. it was it's it's not the worst movie. It seems slightly silly, but you know. And then I had loved the Coppola Dracula because that was pageantry, but it really worked, even though I always say it's one of the only movies I've ever wanted to re-edit. I think it's <laughs> lopsided. Like, I would like to see more at the end when they're fighting in the snow, but that's a cool movie and the design and the acting, whereas the Frankenstein was a little off. But then remember, there's you know movies like Reanimator or Ex Machina. There's so many Frankenstein movies. It's sure. Really hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Reanimator is an amazing movie. One of my favorite scenes in any movie. I was just wearing my Reanimator shirt earlier. Oh, fantastic! Well, I just made a movie with Barbara Crampton, so. Oh, nice. I loved, yeah, I love to tease her that uh, you know we all had a heart on for her. <laughs> Uh, it's a little me too uh, warning, but uh, I I can tease her about that. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I played her husband in the movie. We just finished shooting in Mississippi, so we had fun. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, and it's the greatest ever. I think uh, maybe there's others. I'm not I'm not aware of, but it's in my mind, it's the greatest severed head uh, oral sex scene I've seen in a movie. <laughs> right yeah, I have to agree. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One other Frankenstein we're not mentioning, which uh, is, uh, of course, Young Frankenstein. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned one time I went to see the the original Frankenstein uh, in 35mm theater up in Boston. And on the way home, I was taking an Uber. And uh, it was a young, probably in his 20s. And he's like, oh, I was telling him I went to see. And he started, he's like, oh, yeah, I saw the real old one once. And he started explaining it. And I was like, oh, my God, he's talking about young Frankenstein. (laughs) It's so brutal. brutal. Yeah, you just, it dates you. But, you know, in a weird way, it's not the worst thing. It's similar to when uh, some of my friends say their first Frankenstein movie was having Costello meet Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh. It, man, but uh, it's kind of sweet, you know. These are very loving tributes. I mean, that movie isn't bad, uh, and no, uh, as you know, that was the second time that uh, Lugosi played Dracula, believe it or not. So, and you know, in a way, and then they had um, uh, Lon Chaney always play Wolfman, so whatever that movie isn't the worst, it's kind of great. And uh, as for Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein is clearly a great tribute yep. to uh, yeah. the whole scene. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, That's a great movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I also like the the posters for Depraved. Uh, 
Yeah, I sent you a thing earlier, and I have it on my Facebook because the one that I that you had um, during the the festival run, anyway, uh, has a big scar on it, and it was very similar to to my actual scar from uh, from surgery. And uh, you told me uh, you off air. Uh, so four years ago, I had emergency surgery to remove 14 inches of my colon. Um, and then, so then I had a colostomy bag for a long time. It was very bad. I don't recommend that to anyone. And, uh, yeah. if you're thinking about doing that, but the, uh, and then, so you, last year, I guess it was the end of 2018 was, uh, from that surgery, my stomach muscle had all these holes in it. And so then I had to get like reconstructive surgery in my stomach and, uh, so anyway, I have a lot of scars. Is uh, is is what that is from? Yeah, and I'm yeah, also part also part uh, beef. I'm part cow. <laughs> they they spread my stomach muscle out like an Asian fan. The surgeon said, and then they put cow <laughs> tissue over over top of that. Oh wow, very cool, man. Well, that's so you are sort of a, a little Frankenstein. Your your exactly, exactly. Yep, that's um, true. But the scar on the poster. My uh, DP and longtime comrade, you know, he works at my company. And I uh, basically, when I didn't get any money, I said, well, you're going to shoot it. And um, so we were collaborating on, you know, building the set and working on everything. And then one night he went home and uh, just had a lot of stomach pain. And his girlfriend made him go to the hospital and they said basically his stomach stomach had exploded and was in uh, the toxins were getting in his whole body. So he yeah. went to emergency surgery. They cut him up from the, the navel up to his chest and that, uh, he sent me a picture cause he knew I'm a slightly diseased fella. And, um, I said, Hey man, can we use that as a poster? <laughs> Oh, that's it. why it did look like you were said there. Yeah, it's similar because I, I was I was becoming uh, my colon perforated and uh, my body's becoming septic, and that's why they did the emergency surgery. Yeah, same deal, man. Yeah, Fucking yeah. scary, and uh, you know he literally had to recover, and the whole shoot he was scared to lift the camera, you know, and yeah, he just slowly got his, got his mojo back over the course of the shoot, but. Um, it was uh, a labor of love. And then I had the terrible back pain when we were making it. So we were a couple of cripples making the picture. <laughs> uh, and that's the atmosphere, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it was the right move. You know, we we're making a movie about the physicality of the monster mm -hmm. and all those scars. And we shot in the, in February in New York city in, in Brooklyn, Gowanus. And it was, uh, the, the loft we were in wasn't heated. And oh. so the creep, and I'd made the uh, actor lose all this weight, so he was just bone thin, and so he was suffering. So there was a lot of suffering, which is the way I like it. Art <laughs> suffering. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. Times. Yeah, and uh, from that last surgery. Um, uh, part of it was I also lost my belly button when they sewed me all back. So it's also like Adam because Adam doesn't have a belly button, and, and Adam is the oh. name of Frankenstein here. Oh yeah! Wow, man. Yeah, it's all connected. Oh, yeah. I I recently interviewed uh, James Legro, who uh, when I mentioned you were coming, I didn't know this beforehand, but he said he's a good friend of yours, and he started saying that he doesn't like Frankenstein the book, but uh, he was a big fan of uh, Depraved. And he had an interesting take on what he thought the Frankenstein novel was about. 
what did he say? He said he, in his mind, it's about racism because uh, they all look down on Frankenstein, the monster, because of uh, because of his looks. Well, I think that's very, very profound. And um, I believe there's an image in Depraved. Uh, in fact, he says it. He says, and now they hunt me, and now they chase me, and I have the... Um, uh, the German shepherds running after him as he runs through the uh, fields at the end. And I believe uh, I was also referencing that because the Frankenstein story is about being an outsider and being uh, victimized by society and told that you're not good enough, that you're an out, you know, that you're uh... so, I mean, good for Legros. I agree with him there. And I think it is in the book and it's certainly, um, available to our modern sensibility as we reinterpret things, yeah. you know, through a, a modern eye. I think that's a very real way to talk about it. Of course, you know, in every, I mean, you know, if you were coming from another perspective to say it's a Jesus story, you know, uh, there's a lot of crucifixion imagery, even in uh, Bride Frankenstein, he's put up on a pillar and, you know, all of this. Yeah. So it's really about it's about persecution of the outsider and, uh, you know, and, and this is why the story is so powerful is that we know, uh, as a society, we're guilty of, of persecuting the outsider and, and some of, you know, at some point in our lives, we all feel like the outsider. And then at another point, we know the guilt of, of being the persecutor. So all of that, it's all there. Yeah. Did you go to any of the uh, screen the festival screenings? I went to, um, it's a funny question because I probably didn't go to a lot of them, but I, I certainly went to the premiere and, you know, I don't sit through my movies, which is probably bad because I probably learned that they're too long or they're boring or, <laughs> uh, I just, I end up at the bar and I'm better off just sort of, uh, <laughs> it's so, yeah, I, I don't know what audiences think. You know, I come in after and talk about it and mm-hmm. and hope hope people enjoyed it. But um, what? Why yeah, is I'm, that that you don't sit through them? Uh, is it just because you don't want to sit through a movie? Or well, I mean, I actually would like to watch my movie. I'm not one of those people. You know, people who say, "Oh, I never watched that movie. I don't like that movie." No, I love all my movies. I mean, and they're my children, mm-hmm. uh, flawed as they are. Um, I get really antsy watching uh, my movies with a crowd and yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just sort of a little bit of self-loathing. Although, as I say, I, I like the work. I know I did my best and I'm not one of those people who dismisses. Uh, I'm very loyal to my films, but can't actually watch them. <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, you said they are your children. It would be. It is weird to watch some, uh, your children with people and and thinking like if they like them or not. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You've left them with strangers. How are they going to react? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I leave my kids with strangers and go to the park. <laughs> That's it. I like that. They're a very good Dad. father. Yeah, I, I like, like it. it. <laughs> Do you always edit your own movies? Uh, I have since uh, a movie I made called No Telling. Um, I edited that with a friend of mine, and I just I found the experience excruciatingly annoying. And the, the thing is, is um, 
I really feel that um, it's all part of the process, uh, the making of the film and then the editing. I don't really see it as a distinction. And I don't like the vibe that, you know, uh, uh, an adult has to come into the room and set everything straight. I really feel uh, that it's an ongoing process, you experiencing the material um, and then shaping it. Now, it doesn't mean I don't take advice during the edit process, but even that, i got to be honest, I'm getting more and more stubborn as I get older. I just feel like the arts are something, you know, I know it's film and it's a commercial enterprise and you're trying to please a larger audience to make some money, but the truth is, is like the valuable film, if you're working in this level where I am, you know, the, the low budget, then the greatest thing you can offer is something very, very personal and very specific. And that's the thing that should be commercial, which is to say that should be valuable because it'll be unexpected for an audience. You know, if you're going to make part of the Godzilla franchise, you've got to listen to the suits. Although even then, I actually think the best blockbusters are because there's a personal hand behind it. So honestly, no, I'm sorry. I'm just going to throw down and say movies the arts should be coming from an individual you know you you don't make it alone it's a huge team of people sure but you know uh the idea of the edit uh but at the same time i have great respect for editors and i've been an editor for other people and then i'm like god you sure did need an editor <laughs> there's uh, there's no rules there's no rules it's just my own way of making films i really need to feel like i'm communicating with my material and i'm in there molding the clay you know it's just the way i like to work mm-hmm. i said about like listening to the suits and we talked about this with the the previous guest do you think there's like a a contrast between you know a filmmaker the an artist it's, and the suits, because I would think like someone on the corporate side isn't necessarily artistic or creative. No, and I think it's worse and worse, or you know, whatever. Look, I another conversation that often happens on these kind of uh, shows is like I think horror is in a good place. We have everything from the uh, the art horror guys, like Hereditary dude and 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 Babadook, and you know, mm-hmm. it follows. All that's good, and then we have you know. Um, yeah, there's lots of different and then you know we have what's his fucking name you know jason bloom doing whatever he does and so and then we just had invisible man i mean i think we're in a good place as far as there's interesting material uh coming out bliss and all kinds of cool movies so not really complaining um but i do think when you finally end up with the suits they're always trying to second guess. In fact, they should leave it to the artists because the artists are doing good work. <laughs> right. Um, so it's a little weird. I mean, they almost insert themselves unnecessarily um, into these things and, and get in the way of, uh, of something fresh that the audience is going to like. But, you know, I don't know. It's a complicated business. Uh, and movies have become more genericized even while thank goodness there's there's an indie world going on i don't know it's ever changing and it's never going to be a perfect relationship between the money people and the and the artists 
horror is the best place to do this though, because horror is the genre. It's not about getting great stars. It's really about the power of the, that genre, which is about the power of like the emotion of horror. And then also, um, the, the weirdness of like creating visuals that, you know, aren't mainstream. So in a way the suits have the least understanding of that genre, which mm-hmm. is good as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why I like uh, the festival so much. Cause you see a lot of stuff that doesn't really fit into any genre or they might be horror related, but they're just a bizarre, you know, it's not, it's, it's hard to say what genre, like this, a specific movie is in a lot of the festivals and like, you don't really see that anywhere else. So that's fun. For I me. totally agree, man. I totally agree. Movie festivals like Fantasia, Fright Fest, Fantastic Fest, you know, they really celebrate offbeat movies and that's, you know, you're right. It's like the umbrella is horror, but you know, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. And let's face it, Depraved isn't a scary movie. It's it's about you know sort of existential horror and whatever, so I'm I'm lucky to be even included there you know and yet you're still the bastard child of uh, real movies. <laughs> You'll never get into a real festival where the real people make the real movies. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> what is it about horror horror movies that interested that interested you? Well, it's more than interests me. It's just how I'm wired, you know. Mm-hmm. I just see the world as a horrible place. I think I've been proved right in the last three months. Hello. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a scary fucking nightmare uh, coming to get you virus kind of a world. And uh, it's funny. I've been, you know, putting up my movies and the movies I've produced on my website, you know, and just saying, you know, oh, check it out. You can stream it here. Quarant stream, we call it. Um, and the reality is all our films, they're all cautionary tales about overstepping and nature fighting back, you know. So it's all just like so much uh, this world that we're in now, which isn't to take any pleasure in it, but it's because horror is about like saying, people wake up oh my god you know we're just uh, this far away from something horrible and now we're in it it's mm-hmm. bad news but what have you been doing during the quarantine i'm writing my werewolf movie oh interesting <laughs> it's a good time to <laughs> and, do it uh, down with that yeah man i'm excited and then you know i'm uh, producing my son's film as a war movie he's uh, we're in post production which is awesome to be wrapping that up, um, working on the score and stuff. And then, uh, you know, we have a radio play called Tales from Beyond the Pale. We do a podcast, so every week we drop a a new one. They're old, I shouldn't say new, but if your audience hasn't heard of them, there's a wealth amazing have you guys heard of tales from beyond i haven't but uh but i i like the idea of it you said it's audio play so it's kind of like the old like an old school uh like a oh yeah radio drama oh you have us right then mm-hmm. oh dude let me just say you know for your audiences uh there's 25 available already every week we put out a new one these are something we've been doing for almost 10 years we do them live at festivals and in the studio, we have people like Vincent Tanafio, Ron Perlman, Doug Jones, Tony Todd, all kinds of 
crazy great actors. Uh, Barbara Cranston's in a lot of them. Uh, and they're really, um, you know, really rich. Everyone is different. And they're half hour. And you just pop it on and you just get a, a deep immersion. Great sound effects. And everyone is different. You know, everything from sci-fi to, uh, you know, murder to slightly lighter fare. I really recommend it. Tales from Beyond the Pale. And the idea is we would we just woke up one day and said, we love audio plays. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, we know so many filmmakers who aren't getting their movies financed. Let's, let's invite them to do uh, an audio play. And uh, we got a lot of excitement. This is my friend, me and Glenn McQuaid, another filmmaker I work with. I love it. Yeah, because I love listening to the old, um, the old audio. You know, like with Vincent Price and, and whatnot. We used to play them on the on uh, on the stream once in a while. You know, the the, the old ones on like archive.org. And so I love the idea of doing a new new ones. You know, in in that vein. That's uh, I will actually check that. Check it out. I promise you uh, that you'll find something out of twenty five and and more coming. Um, you got to find something you like. Out of yeah. Those. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Jason here on Facebook, he says, um, I watched him recently in Jugface last night. He is so awesome. Uh, do you prefer directing or acting? Oh, I thought Sweet Jugface is a really cool, strange movie. Um, uh, well, I, uh, I mean, I like to direct it. I like to put the entire vision across, but uh, acting is where I started and and then I get drawn into directing and and really wanting to tell the whole story. But uh, I have a great affinity for actors, and I still think of myself as an actor. So uh, hard to say. It's all you know. It's all a big soup, and you want to get in there and be creative and be supportive of the vision. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I like it all. He also uh, adds, uh, does being an actor inspire the choices you make when directing others? Well, definitely. You know, I'll tell you, I mean, it's sort of a bit of a side joke, but it's also true. Like when I want to do a sex scene in a movie, direct it, I can always tell them, well, go see Habit. I was naked in half the film and, you know, (laughs) listen, I know what it's like. Uh Embarrassing, but go for it. You know, so it's a real value to be able to... um, to speak to actors having done it, having really done a lot of different types of roles from very small ones where you know that you're just a a little side piece to being a lead. Um, But maybe the real answer is I like to act and direct and uh, do everything at once, which I have done in my film called Habit. It's an old movie now, but uh, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm literally doing everything. And that's kind of truly immersive. Uh, it's a great uh, experience as a mm-hmm. artist, you know. Yeah. Can you say anything about the werewolf movie you're writing? No. Besides I it being a werewolf. All right. All right. <laughs> How about that? It's going to be so cool. All right. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> it would be bad if you're like, man, it's really going to suck. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be mediocre. That's what I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> I'm gunning for middle of the road. We're hoping I'm gonna, it works I, out. Know, I, think I, have a, I think I have a real handle on mediocrity. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't even be 
telling because I never like to broadcast, but I am kind of excited. And uh, when I was little, I used to say, you know, I used to, the only way I ever made a movie is by telling everyone I was going to make it. And then they'd be sort of like, yeah, and, well, and, and then I would sort of feel obliged. So maybe that's what I'm doing with you guys. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, we won't talk about that movie specifically, but what are some of your favorite werewolf movies of past? Well, that's a good question. I mean, that's one reason I'm presuming to make one. I mean, I'm not sure I have too many. Uh, obviously, Wolfman. I, uh, the first one, or whatever it's called, and then all the times Lon Chaney showed up. Um, and then, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough thing. Obviously, there's the howling, and then there's uh, American Werewolf in London, but even those there issues there, I don't know. It's what do you guys think? Well, it's weird you bring <laughs> up American Werewolf to... in London because that's my favorite uh, werewolf movie. But I actually don't like the look of the werewolf in it. I like the the, the werewolf on two legs in, in like the Wolfman. But up until he becomes Yay. a werewolf, I really like the movie. Yeah, dude, that's my thing. Is that well, I don't want to give too much away. Sure, uh, sure. But, uh, I, I, I'm not a big snout werewolf guy. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I like the design of the Benicio del Toro werewolf, although I thought the teeth were too big. But there's some beautiful stuff in that movie. It's just That's a great some, look. Yeah. Uh, there are other problems, unfortunately. But, mm. but uh, like the changing, the transformation scene in the asylum or whatever when he's in the chairs fucking beautiful and they just cgi but uh very respectful and the makeup comes in eventually and uh i have a great affection for sections of that movie um and you know that's the thing i'll say this if you're a horror fan a lot of the time you're just editing your own movie because (laughs) (laughs) it's true because there's so many bad things or missteps or you don't quite know why or it's boring that's funny when you're little it's like where's the monster i don't know why we're going through all this scene. um although of course the irony is then i grew up and made incredibly boring horror movies i admit it because <laughs> now i'm into like atmosphere which as a kid i was like oh my god it's so fucking annoying <laughs> just show the monster anyway i was at a soft uh, spot for silver bullet i liked it yeah, Silver Bullet, and then, um, uh, well, now, you see, I don't know, it's it's a tough, um, did you guys see Late Phases? I yeah, that. yeah, I like Late Phases, <laughs> but, yeah, interesting it's take. It's got a good vibe, mm-hmm. goofy-looking monster, those guys were so excited, <laughs> um, but at least it's distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just, there's a cool werewolf book that just came out with every damn werewolf movie made and you're really like, wow, it's kind of a, it's not a lot. I mean, there's an Oliver Reed movie, of course. Yeah, but, that uh, one's real good too. I forgot about that one. That's cool. And you know, it's funny because I am writing this and thinking about, uh, you know, Werewolf of London, uh, the, mm, the, the, the famous, one. yeah, where apparently Henry Hull didn't want to put on too much makeup, which is sort of why that's like, not quite. Anyway, then there's a movie called Mark of the Vampire, which has a werewolf in it, which is like kind of awesome. And there's Teenage Werewolf was another makeup that I liked. 
mm-hmm. you know, from 1954 or whatever. So it's all very interesting. Uh, like I'm not, a, I'm not, a, well, I mean, there's dog soldiers. Let's not go crazy. There's some great werewolf movies. Yeah, that's a good movie. And that, those are really cool looking werewolves. They're very cool. Yeah. But I like the limber wolfman kind of werewolf, you know. Uh, I do too. Instead of the sort of like perfectly wolf on stilts with the big. Mm-hmm. And then my least favorite is like from the Twilight uh, when they're turned into wolves. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't like. thing with true blood. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not a fan of that either. I feel so ripped off when they get yeah. like CGI into wolves. But wait, what about you know what movies I don't watch? Or the is it Underworld? Like oh yeah, when they have like uh, guns, I don't like like my uh, monsters that have weapons, like a big gun. I think it's kind of silly. Yeah, I agree. Then you're into yeah. another zone. That's yeah. not the thing. <laughs> they don't. They are a weapon. They don't need weapons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Also, that's like, um, they're not, um, that's when, you know, that's why Universal doesn't know how to do the, uh, well, the, the, the dark, the dark universe, universe yeah. because right. they fully understand horror. Horror is about like, <laughs> oh shit, I'm a werewolf. So I'm having this terrible existential problem. <laughs> like, like I'm an alcoholic or I'm a, uh, you know, or I'm a, a I don't know. It's it's a psychological thing. It has to do with life and death and, and identity. These are the themes of horror. It's not about like badass shooting <laughs> or being, right, right. Anyway, whatever. These yes. are my problems. That's yeah. why I'm not. But, that, but it makes them hard to to put them to to make like your Avengers out of uh, out of the Universal monsters. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think actually with the Invisible Man that. Uh, I guess Jason Bloom will sort of start pushing a slightly new agenda forward, and it may be better for for the Universal movies. Although I I I like the Invisible Man, but in a way, I was annoyed that it was a suit. It's kind of like we're talking about. It was I like the old you know you know where yeah yeah like that's it's one of the greatest uh, villains. Superhero. Yeah. What do you think? I said it's one of the greatest villains, uh, the original Invisible Man, because he's so gleeful ah, and like his his well, evil. Basil rules in yeah. that. He's just so great. Ah, it's amazing. It's yep. so good. Cloudy. When he really, when his mind really starts going, and he's doing like the look, even the moon is afraid of me. You know, it's just awesome. It is. It's awesome, and it's so much more existential than like. A man invents a high tech suit and goes and beats <laughs> yeah. his girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, the movie was better than it might have been, but when I heard it was coming out, I was excited because I did like that guy's other film, uh, whatever the hell it was called. Um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what, what it was. Uh, yeah. But it's, uh, I thought the. the, Reba, the Reba, I thought. Reba, the, okay. <laughs> Oh, I know what you mean. Um, I, I forget to. I'm gonna look it up because I had him. I had him on the show for that movie. Uh, but I like oh, that too. Great, yeah. it's really cool. Yes, yeah, I think it's a really underrated movie. Lee Whannell is the is the director, by the way. Uh, upgrade, upgrade. 
I had to cheat. Look it up on reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's close enough. Yeah. Upgrade Shoot me now. Uh, yeah. Upgrade is a great movie, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it is very good. Uh, yeah, I love that movie. I, th- I think that's a really underrated movie. People should check out. I agree. But I, I thought the Invisible Man, the Invisible Man himself, was the least des- interesting part of the movie. I know. Ugh, so frustrating. Uh, still, I think it's a better trend than The Mummy by Tom Cruise. Yeah. Is- <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's setting the bar pretty low, though. Uh huh. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It's tough because I mean, I actually thought the Wolfman was a fine effort as a Hollywood film, and uh, as I say, there seemed to be some heart there. They clearly got lost, but uh, anyway, yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't think do. it's as bad as a lot of people said it was. I I I enjoyed the movie Wolfman. I like, and actually, mm-hmm. it's one of those movies I watch all the time, over and over, and still get annoyed but there's enough there that i enjoy and i do yeah. like the the effects and you know they were trying to do practical and there's a lot of charms whatever <laughs> yeah yeah it was weird uh because i mentioned about the 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 uber driver who thought uh the original frankenstein was um uh, young Frankenstein. I remember when they were when the the newer Mummy came out. People th- were saying on my Facebook that it was a remake of the Brendan Fraser movies. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, good night, nerd. <laughs> yeah. That's when you want to hide were, away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those movies were enjoyable in the way of uh, the obviously the Indiana Jones stuff, but it has nothing to do with horror. Yeah. Right. It's just like a whole other zone. And then remember when, uh, well, I, I already referenced it once, like the Van Helsing, that movie. Yeah. Yep. That, that was like the, a sort of a mind fuck from whenever that period was. <laughs> uh-huh. The only thing cool in that was the, um, the, the, the lady vampires, the sirens or whatever, the ones that flew around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember when it was coming out, they, there was all this talk about the Frankenstein, and it was so cool, and he was going to get like his own show, and then I saw it, and I was like, oh my god, he's he's so lame, but, uh, <laughs> but and it never went anywhere. I know, and he had the little blue beating heart or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. How many ways can they fuck this shit up? <laughs> it was kind of like, what, what was the other one where they, you know, um, they get the big group of uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, because I oh, heard that about the Mister Hyde in that, and then I'm, I oh, saw it, and I'm Mr. like, oh my god, I loathe the Mister Hyde in this. He's horrible. I know he's like the Hulk. Basically. Yeah, this huge thing it had nothing to do with. By the way, guys, you want to talk? It's funny. I'd rather talk about Jekyll and Hyde uh, <laughs> remakes or whatever they're called. Uh, the point is, is uh. uh the 1932 Jekyll and Hyde. Tell your audiences to watch that. Such an amazing movie. Mm. And so vicious. Uh, it's just fantastic. Yeah, those, uh, I, I think all the movies from that era, like, uh, they still hold up. And yeah, amazing. you can't beat them. Yeah. But if you ever read the comic book for uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that the movie's based on, it's so much better than the movie. Is it? Oh, yeah. 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 The Invincible Man and it's great where he's like this old like uh, perverted guy who's like a like a uh 
doing stuff with the women with women and like the nunnery and they think it's god <laughs> coming to them because they can't see him and like i don't know maybe you can't do that in a movie but but i loved it in the comic yeah. oh that's fantastic yeah of course <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I love you gotta it. Gotta get the, the heart of the matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, I know uh, uh, Jen Wexler is a producer on um, on Depraved, and uh, uh, and you were in her movie, The Ranger. So uh, what what did you think of The Ranger, and then uh, what do you think of Jen Wexler? Oh my God! Well, Jen is much more than either of those things. She also <laughs> she came to Glass Eye Picks, and I'm really bad with dates, but five years ago and she ended, uh, you know, I was, I'm always telling everybody I'm going to close glass eye. That's my company. We make movies. And, um, but she really gave me a shot in the arm. She was so ambitious and she wanted so hard to learn. And she was mentored by Peter Polk, who had produced a lot of movies like Stakeland and house of the devil, the innkeepers and a lot of our earlier films. And then she kind of took over and she was my producer for, for five years and we made uh, uh, Like Me and Most Beautiful Island and uh, Psychopaths, uh, Darling. So she really learned the ropes and slowly became excited to direct her own film. So I said, when you're ready, Jen, you'll have the full support of the company and uh, so then she made the ranger it was just a great experience you know everything from casting to uh designing the movie we shot upstate where we make all our films and she was well aware of how we like to do it and um you know it was sweet she invited me to be in the film but mostly it was a producing uh collaboration and i really loved seeing jen find her way and you know we found Chloe Levine. I'd been in a movie called Transfiguration. It's a really cool, subtle vampire movie. And uh, I told Jen, Chloe was amazing. And we all met uh, in Austin at a festival. And so eventually Chloe became the lead in um, in The Ranger. And then she's briefly in Depraved as well. Mm-hmm. So it was sweet because uh, Jen's sort of final thing at Glass Eye was producing my film almost as the as the sort of concluding bookend to coming into the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a great run of it and now she's on her own. She's trying to direct and you know it's not easy to to do what she's trying to do for any of us but uh, we had a great run. Yeah. Yeah, I met her at a Boston Underground Film Festival. Um, it was the Ranger, uh, maybe not the premiere, but they were showing it at Boston Underground Film Festival. Uh, really cool. And I met her again at Fright Fest in uh, is it Frightmare in England, in London. But yeah, it was, uh, oh, yeah. Which, that, that's a crazy festival. It's huge. I kind of prefer oh, I ones it. that's just one screen, but it was. It, but there's so many people. It was very cool. Yeah. Well, it's a great festival. And, you know, the, the Brits are so sweet and they're so dedicated and they all, like, take their holiday to go to that oh, yeah. uh, festival. And they're such drinkers. It's all really quite charming, I must say. I, I've been there a couple times. Um, and it's a great festival. Yeah. Anyway, was- the Ranger was really fun for us. You know, um, became uh, a great launch for Jen and was really 
well received and you know a lot of great people involved heather buckley and andrew vanden houghton other producers on it and just the whole punk vibe and yeah it was it was great yeah really cool that was uh, was that in hunter mountain loose film yep well the you know that's where they <laughs> they had to hike up to do the uh the scene you know on the tower with the ranger where his hangout is and uh-huh. uh jen was i don't know this is the whole thing my company glass eye we really believe in kind of the herzog model that you have to suffer making the movies and she made everybody hike up <laughs> there was no way to drive uh-huh. so just a great uh image of everybody sort of carrying the cameras and the equipment and the actors all trudging up the hill yeah. to do those things. Um, and then a lot of it was shot. Just I have a place up here near Kingston, New York, and uh, we've made a lot of movies here. And we used to have It's in my movie Wendigo. We used it for Depraved, for The Ranger, for Bitter Feast, for uh, uh, Fake Land. A lot of our movies shot right around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Hunter Mountain a few times because uh, um, Kevin Van Hentenrick from uh, Basket Case movies. Uh, after he oh, did yeah. Basket Case, he's a he's a stonemason up in there, and he does. Uh, we had him on the show, and he talked about he has like a free uh, class every summer. So I was like, well, we have, I have to go and learn stone carving from Kevin Van Hentenrick, and uh, so I went up there and I carved Belial into stone, which was very exciting. Oh, dude, that's so cool! I actually love that. I have a movie called uh, Bluestone that uh, <laughs> right. I that's what you friend. use up there. Is that's what he carves in Bluestone? Absolutely, man! It's a fantastic. Uh, I'm a big fan of the stone art, so that's cool to hear. Yeah, it's weird because no one in that area they just know him as the like the town mason, so nobody knew you know that he was in this weird these weird horror movies back in the day. It's very fun. Oh wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, he's a really great guy. Yeah, uh, we're still here uh, at the when that came out. That was my that was my favorite horror movie that year. Uh, yeah, that's Barbara that Crampton. Was. That too. Yeah, was, was that the first time you worked with Barbara Crampton? Uh, it was, um, I believe. And then, uh, uh, and you know, just Barbara is such a bright spirit, so positive, so cool, and she was so committed in that movie, and really. Um, really deeply upset and she had interviewed people who had lost their kids. So she was very committed, like taking it seriously. And, uh, and yet, you know, always so fun. And it was a really good experience. You know, people love to say it was very cold, you know, we were in upstate New York, way upstate. And, you know, the house was heated only by the fireplaces and, but it was a great community and Ted Gagan is a really warm, caring director. And then Travis Stevens was a producer. So it felt like a, a great Motley crew and it was a fun experience. And, and then I went on to work with Barbara and she was in a couple of the tales from beyond the tale. You know, once you get to know Barbara, she's always a, a she's, always stays in touch and is a good pal. And then like four years ago, she sent me a script and said, I want you to play my husband. And I said, that's so sweet. And then nothing really happened. And, you know, months and then years went by 
and she checked in with me now and again. She even asked me if I could think of another writer to help on it and all this. And then, like, in November, she said, we got the money. Do you still want to do it? Oh, awesome. I was like, wow. So I went up, uh, we went to Mississippi in February, um, and we shot uh, this movie, Jacob's Life. And the director is Travis Stevens, who was the producer on We Are Still Here. So it's sort of a family atmosphere, and um, yeah, we're in post-production. I don't know what. He's a really nice guy, too. I met him last year. We actually stayed at the same uh, uh, hotel during Boston Underground Film Festival. Because uh, he had his film, um, The Girl on the Third Floor, I think it's called. Uh, that, yep. that, was, that was the premiere. Yeah, he's a really good, really good guy. Yeah, so we just had a blast shooting uh, shooting for a month in Mississippi, a vampire movie. I think I can say that. All right, fair enough. From, yeah. We will, well, maybe no not. one listens to this, <laughs> so no one does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Everything's secret between yeah. us. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. are, so, we uh, even, are we even on the radio? Are we just talking on the phone? I don't know. <laughs> Bill just calls up people. We shoot yeah, the shit for a, yeah, This is a big scam for us. To... <laughs> it's okay, guys. I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. Yeah. Yep. At the end of the day. Yeah. But uh, uh, you mentioned, you know, the Wolfman a few times. And uh, is that why, you know, you got the Wolfman toy at the beginning of Wendigo? The little action figure? You're a big fan of Wolfman? Well, I just, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And also in that, you know, it's like, um, you know, he's fighting with like a robot man. So it's sort of like the, that, that physical, you know, the way we see ourselves. Are we the future where we're going to be robots or are we the visceral animal you know instinct like which which part of humanity is going to uh you know uh prevail or whatever i don't know anyway that's that's what that's all about yeah uh, and that's uh, that's on shutter right now i think wendigo i think it is yeah i yeah i, I love uh shutter they're very supportive and actually i've been there from the beginning a lot you know i know uh sam uh he's one of the programmers and one of the early you know consultants there and anyway the point is is that a lot of the glass movies were there early on it was fun to watch shutter sort of come into its own over the years yeah i'm a big fan of it too it's uh because you see a lot of stuff there that you're not going to see anywhere else Absolutely. I mean, it's just like, it's a real treasure hunt, you know, it's a, it's, it's a service to, uh, horror and genre fans to be able to see, uh, unexpected gems. And that's because of like Sam Zimmerman is his name. Uh, you know, it's a real curatorial effort. I mean, obviously it's become more successful, so it's got other agendas, but there's still that element going on. We're really, uh, trying to, bring people to uh unexpected material yeah it's a good mix of like a lot of older stuff that people might have seen and then like a lot of um a lot of you know stuff i see uh, on the festivals and it's cool for them to find a platform at home and uh and then a lot of uh, foreign stuff that i probably wouldn't be able to get to see otherwise yeah it's really very special it's cool man yeah 
And of course, Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. What are you yeah. going to do? Joe. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Bob, come on. <laughs> so when I mentioned oh, you were coming on a lot of, oh, I'm sorry. He has, yeah. It was very oh, emotional his, his what you when he first did that first run and then the very last episode he does this big emotional speech about it's like his final time ever doing it and like it almost makes you cry and then like and then it was a big hit so he kept doing them. Yeah, and, yeah, good. and then he's back. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Leave for a little while. I remember Joe Bob when he was just uh, just Prince, I think, uh, unless I'm misunderstanding. But I mean, I remember him as just uh, way back in the day. I don't know, ten years ago or something. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, something that I mentioned about the Kevin Van Hentenrick uh, going up and, and doing the stone carving. And when he did yeah. uh, Basket Case, uh, people even told me, like, he's saying the same stuff like you said about uh, about Kevin Van Hentenrick. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then w- uh, when I had him on, he said he actually watched my videos with Kevin for some research uh, for what Kevin was doing after Basket Case. And I was like, wow, this really, I've really made it. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty Joe Bob, yeah. Joe Bob used the video of me for, uh, for research. He didn't give uh, me any money. Yeah, cool. Well, that's what's cool about the horror genre. You know, there is a, it's a, it's really a very warm group of people who care about this offbeat sort of somewhat, well, somewhat this macabre stuff. There's a warmth to it. You know, that's why the festivals are very mm-hmm. charming. You know, and people are really dedicated and and you know, guys like yourself are part of the community and. You know, I grew up with uh, Tony Timponi and Mike Gingold from Fangoria, and and we would all go to festivals, or we'd you know show up at the same conventions and stuff. And you know, everybody's doing their thing. Some people are making the movies, some people are commenting or have uh, you know podcasts or magazines. I don't know, but it is a community. Everybody sort of. Mm-hmm. has an affection for this uh these the dark arts and and we all know like the outside world thinks it's all creepy shit but we all right. know it's really uh it's a way of expressing um you know deeper things about just uh, life as scary and and awesome you know in in so many ways and monsters and all this good stuff which everybody thinks is freaky, but it's actually very um, consoling to the community. Yeah, I agree. And it's, uh, I remember I was at a convention, I forget where it was. Uh, and uh, the taxi driver was taking us to the hotel and we told me at a, at a uh, this is before Uber, uh, going to a horror movie convention. And, uh, and he said, Oh, that's, that's good that they put all those guys together. It's like, so they don't go out and kill people. And I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> Like I even not answer. Yeah, yeah. That's the rest of it said he's safe. Yeah. It's so perfect, man. Where it's actually we're the only sane people. It's all the other fucking maniacs. Uh huh. Yeah. That's the real truth. Uh huh. But yeah, but yeah, the festival. That cool guy probably that probably. guy probably had a body in the back of his trunk. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. I was like, it's not. It's no use getting into an argument with. So I'm just getting us to the hotel, and I'll agree with you that yeah, we'd just be out killing exactly. everybody. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it was very funny, <clears throat> very strange as well. <clears throat> but yeah, the festivals like 
because uh, at the when I started in the festivals, they're so amazing because you know afterwards, uh, the directors and the filmmakers and the and then people just go in there watching the movies, and I was there as press. Everyone, you know, gets together afterwards because they all have uh, the same love of this of these weird movies, and just everyone is equal talking to each other about films. It's a it's a really great experience. Yeah, it's so cool, man. So cool. Have you been to uh, Fantasia? I have not been to Fantasia. Well, you'd enjoy it. I mean, it's another one of those very affirming. I mean, the only thing that's weird is it goes on for like three weeks, but you can drop right. in uh, any time and get a, a real charge just for a couple of days. It's a good one. Yeah. But yeah, they're like, all... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've uh, uh, finished my first uh, feature recently, so uh, hopefully when things get back to normal, uh, we're going to try yeah. to uh, try to get that in, into some of the festivals. So we'll see. Well, congrats, man. What's it called? Uh, the first one I can't talk about secret. I can tell you off here, but the, the second movie, because they're, they're connected, is um, the Once in Future Smash, and it's a mock. Well, I'll say documentary. It's a mockumentary about two uh, uh, actors from nineteen from the nineteen seventies who made a horror movie, and they both take um, credit for the role. They both play uh, uh, the mass slasher in a movie, which was inspired by a lot of uh, people who argue who played over who played Jason in part two and whatnot. And uh, so they're the first time ever together at a uh, at a convention. Uh, you know, forty years later, and uh, and we filmed it at a convention. It was very cool. Mad Monster let us film there, so we have the whole convention as a backdrop to to this, which adds a lot of uh, realism, I think, to it. It's a uh, very fun and. Uh, Oh, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Yeah, and even uh, Eben, who runs it, let me film a fake uh, panel with the with the two leads, which was very fun to do. With oh, dude, that's so fun! I can't wait. That's so yeah. fun. Right, and so the two leads are a uh, Bill Whedon from uh, Kabuki Man and uh, Michael St. Michael's from The Greasy Strangler, which I was very excited about. Nice. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. very happy about it. Every so, year I do Comic Con and I'm always like, we got to make a movie here. What are we doing to spend our time? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's so much you can film. So, it's like a lot you. of production. Yeah. A lot of production value. It, it was cool because I, I joke, but it's true. It's like I said, all these years of being nice to people paid off. You know, he let me film there and a lot yeah, of the exactly. horror people did cameos for the movie and stuff. So it's exciting. Damn. Should have been nicer to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, now You're I don't have to. <laughs> now I can finally stop being nice to people because they finally buy enough of this. Yeah. Yep. Who were you again? <laughs> Sorry, don't know you. So, where could people find you? Like, not at your home, but where if they want to find you online, what you're doing? Where can people find you? Uh, Glass Picks is my company. T-L-A-S-S-E-Y-E-P-I-X. And that's, uh, you know, that's the Twitter handle and that's Facebook and that's my website, which is where it all starts. You could just go to glasseyepix.com. And, um, you know, that's where we, we have a daily posting of shit going on, movies of ours, and you can see all the movies we've made and also be reminded of uh, Tales from Beyond the Pale and, other things. So, uh, com is sort of where you can figure out what the hell we are. Very good. It's been uh, wonderful to have you on, and we'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, it's been great. 
Uh, it's so cool of you guys to find me. I don't quite know why you thought of me, but I appreciate it very much. <laughs> well, I'm not so, sure why uh, you agreed, but so so. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, you know, actually, I thought you were someone else. I know there's a guy named you, so not. Uh, anyway, guys, thanks so much for uh, thinking of me and uh, and lots of luck to you. Very good. Thank you very hey, much. There is there is a Neil Jones that was in Dirty Dancing. You might have thought it was <laughs> fine. Damn, I thought, hey, I could tell him loved his work. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody Lombardas uh, like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey. You as well. Thanks for doing this. Have yeah, a good night. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. All right, and we're back here at the station of decapitation without your head, and I'm still Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we are joined, I believe it's his third time here, be fourth time altogether, include the video shows, maybe fifth time if I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm a regular. Yeah, regular oh, here. I think he's, he's getting up there. Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite people, one of Troy's favorite people. Absolutely. Oh. Zeb, Zeb Godon, his newest film, Blood Rites of the Vampire, I believe is how you say it, or Vampire, yes. I'm going to say Vampire. Vampire is how I say it. So. All right, it's very cool to have you back. Yes, welcome back. So let everyone know what Blood Rites of the Vampire is, if they're not aware. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Von, uh, Blood Rites of the Vampire is a very loving homage to... My favorite kind of horror, which is uh, classic expressionistic horror of the 1920s and 30s, as well as like 70s tripped out kind of art house weirdo horror. So it's a little bit of a uh, universal monster movie meets Jean Rollin. Mm-hmm. Now, f- for this kind of movie, a big part of it, obviously, is the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you need like a great score, which I think you really got for the movie. So uh, who did the score? Um, the score was mostly provided by my producer and director of photography, Brendan Peterson. He um, wanted the movie to... We both share a similar... Uh, like in, uh, We both love the movie Tesso the Iron Man, and that movie has like a very industrial-sounding soundscape, so we always go to that for influence. So uh, when it came to the music, I left it in his hands, really, and I think he pieced together something pretty great. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh... You know, a movie like this without like a, a really good score, it would it wouldn't be the same. You wouldn't have the same feel. I agree. Uh, what I also thought was interesting because you have the score there, but there's not a lot of uh, sound with a lot of like uh, the action in the movie. Yeah, like um, a big influence, like I said, was uh, horror from the twenties. So like expressionistic horror, like you know, Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, Nosferatu, uh, The Golem. So I wanted to have a bit of a silent film vibe, very kind of quiet and sedate soundscape. Yeah, it's definitely a movie you wouldn't you wouldn't want to do, which you really shouldn't do if you're watching any movie. But it's not a movie you'd want to uh, do other things while you're watching because you you wouldn't get the same the feeling you're going for. You, you know, you would you wouldn't be into it. No, it's a purely uh, visual experience. You're supposed to like sit in the dark and just take it all in. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, now, like, I like your stuff. There's a lot of weird monster stuff, which I, I like all genres of movies, which, like yourself, I think. Uh, well, not necessarily all genre, but all kinds of the subgenres of horror movies. And so this is a definitely a departure from, from your other films. Uh, yeah. That I've seen, like, anyway. Yeah, like, because um, you've seen 
slimoids and things like that. Um, this was like, I love, I have like a soft spot, I guess, for everything I've made so far. Um, but this was like an attempt to totally disregard the hopes of making something marketable, something <laughs> that could sell and something that could appeal and just make something that entirely is what I want. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yep. something more personal, I guess. So what was that experience like for you then to make something you're like, this is what I want to make and I'm going to make it. Yeah, incredibly liberating. Um, the movie was partially improvised and partially scripted. So like having that very loose narrative to work in, I found extremely liberating as a filmmaker. I thought that of all the things I've made so far, this has been the most satisfying artistically. Because uh, when I was watching it, uh, I really did think you captured uh, the movies that you mentioned. The, the, definitely that feel of, of uh, you know, it's not really a movie you see anymore. Yeah, like that kind of dreamlike quality a lot of that German yeah. expressionist stuff has. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did you cast the, the Vicky for the, uh, for, the, for the roles of Ampere? You know, Vicky, uh, I had met Vicky years ago. She acted in a uh, stage production of Night of the Living Dead where she played Karen interesting because when i'm watching it that's who i'm thinking of a, a lot of the uh just the look yeah 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 and uh so i always kind of had her in the back of my mind and um back when i was uh, had the vague hopes of making a sequel to slimeoids i had a friend of mine pitch me different actresses that could play the villain in it and vicky came up and when it came time to do dino gore i thought well let's give vicky a try and see if i get along with her and see if she's fun to work with and she was and while shooting dino gore it just dawned on me uh oh my god she's got this incredible facial structure she's got this great body language this great energy to her she would be perfect she is the vampire so she was my only pick did she uh did she know of those movies beforehand or did she watch them like after you uh you get her cast for the movie she was aware of some of them. Uh, I got her to watch like uh, a lot of the Universal movies beforehand, some silent films. Uh, never any of like the weird '70s stuff. Never any Jess Franco or anything like that. Right. But uh, I explained to her, and the cool thing with Vicky is that she's just so gung ho to do just about anything that she really latched onto the project. And I'll be damned if there wasn't a day where she wasn't the one with the most energy on set. She was just she's just amazing to work with. Yeah. We mentioned body language and also the idea that some of it's scripted and some of it's uh, improvised. And so I assume a lot of her, her movements and stuff, or you just like give her direction of what is the direction, I guess there for, for, for a lot of just her moving around. Yeah. Like, uh, because if you look at the beginning of the film, uh, she starts off very kind of stilted zombie, like, and then it becomes more fluid as it goes lo- along. And then it kind of, I don't want to spoil anything, but it kind of degrades at a certain point. And uh, the idea was just like an exploration of physicality, an exploration of uh, how one's comfort in their environments affects their body language and that sort of thing. So that's mainly what we played with. And we like kept track of the timeline of the story, even if we were improvising things like this takes place here, this happens here so that her body language always matched where she was in the in the story. Has she seen the finished movie? She has. At least she has access to it. I'm not okay. too sure if she's right. watched it in full yet. All right. So you don't know her feedback then? I know that she's seen parts of it and has liked it a lot. And I look right. forward to working with her again. Yeah. Did you know you were going to do it in black and white? Oh, yeah. From the get-go. Mm-hmm. 
So do you film it in black and white or do you or do you do that after you film it? Uh, Brendan shot it in color, but we shot it with a very muted color palette so that we would have an idea of what it would look like. And uh, yeah, it worked great. The only uh, I won't spoil anything again, but there is one color scene in the film. And there is that one. We went all out with that one. So. Yeah, this is your Schindler's List moment or more like Wizard <laughs> of Oz, I guess, in a way. Yeah, my inspiration was, you know how in those 50s B-movies, like How to Make a Monster and uh, War of the Colossal Beast, how they always advertise, see the thrilling climax in full color, and it's just like a 30-second <laughs> segment at the end. Right. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> That works. I like it. But yeah, it definitely uh, stands out in the movie. And yeah. So how many people have gotten to see it? Has there been like much feedback, or are you waiting for the festivals? You know, <laughs> we had really high yes, hopes for a festival run yeah, oh, yeah. We, we had higher hopes for a festival run which have been uh thwarted thwarted by the plague and um so i've been uh sending it out to online reviewers anybody who is listening to this who has a website who wants to review it message me message the film's facebook page we will allow you to watch it yeah. uh but the feedback's been really good so far i it's a movie where as much as I love it and as proud of uh, as I am of it, I do not know how people will react to it most of the time. So, yes, I actually talked to uh, uh, Michael uh, Epstein, mutual friend of ours, who hasn't got a chance to, to watch it yet, but I think he's going to really like it because uh, he made uh, another uh, not a similar movie, but you know, Blood of the Tribbids, Blood of the Tribbids, which is uh, that's the first movie I saw of his. And uh, when they made it, I don't think they thought, you know, this probably doesn't have an audience either, but it's like the thing we want to do. But I told him, I said, this is a movie you're going to like. Yeah, he's like, actually very anxious to watch. I, I sent it to Michael because we both love Jean Roulet. And uh, I think we have like a very similar uh, taste when it comes to vampire cinema. So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to for him to see it, which I'm sure you as well. Oh, I am. Yeah. So uh, you said, you know, uh, with the color palette, so because I was interested about black and white, because if I take something I put in black and white, everyone's done this, uh, depending on the color, some of them don't come out right. So when you're filming some of that stuff, do you watch it, you know, as you're filming to make sure this is going to look good when it's in black and white? Yes and no. Like, we just made sure that, like, we didn't shoot anything that wasn't like a really harsh dark tone or a really harsh light tone and we lit it very starkly so that you get a lot of shadow in there like yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't as daunting of a task as i was afraid it would be at first sure so a lot of it's outside like where do you film it filmed wandering around north bay uh where <laughs> i live north bay ontario taking in just the decay of the environment that i live in uh -huh. and um i think that North Bay is, uh, it, there's a lot of film stuff that gets done here, both big and small. And I don't feel like any of it exploits just how beautifully weird North Bay can look as much as I have with this film. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. I like that there's a big staircase near, I don't know, maybe halfway through the movie or maybe, yeah, I think probably about three quarters of the way movie. There's a big staircase outside. And I just think that's a really great visual of why her walking up the staircase. Oh yeah, I love that shot too. That's uh, we call that our eraser head shot. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, do I when you're so you said you just like wandering around. So do you have like ideas like of places you know of like when you're walking around? Yeah, like 
in the months leading up to shooting, I just walked around North Bay and I just thought to myself, wow, you know, that tree looks really cool. And like that alleyway looks pretty dingy and things like that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say that because uh, uh, when Michael and Sophia were going to come down for Boston Underground Film Festival before it was right before that was right before the, the, the apocalypse. And uh, we were going to film something for, for one of the movies. And so they were going to come down to the Cape. And so I was walking around looking for places I thought would work and taking pictures. And unfortunately, it hasn't happened. But it, it's weird because uh, I didn't I never really thought about that before. And then when I'm walking around, I was like, wow, there, there are a lot of very interesting things just in my town that like I could sh- I could shoot something at. And, you know, it would be a great uh, just a great visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that was very much like the the approach with this was just walk around and shoot whatever looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Did that? Did you? Did that come in any problems? Like with people around? Never. Never. It, even when uh, even when uh, Vicky is like wandering around all bloody towards the end and she's <laughs> screaming her head off, we were right by a uh, children's playground. Never <laughs> had any, Never had any issues. I think shooting uh, near Halloween helped a lot. Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. Like, ah, it's just those weird Halloween kids. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll give them some candy. They'll go away. (laughs) Is this your longest movie? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, uh, It would have been like two minutes longer, but we trimmed the dialogue scene with the other creature a little bit. And uh, it ended up being, I want to say it's like 70 minutes long now. Yeah. Or 69 minutes or something like that. And yeah, it's my longest film, and uh, I'm very proud of that. If there was one movie I was going to have that ran over an hour, <laughs> then I'm happy it's this one. Yeah. So uh, so it was. Uh, you've done the, the werewolf movie. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, the mummy movie, which I haven't seen. And uh, so it's just, it seemed like an order that you would do a vampire movie. And uh, it's actually like uh, the beginning of another cycle, because, you know, we are planning a uh, uh, another more traditional mummy movie and oh really uh, yeah and a uh, werewolf film as well and uh you know uh, eventually there's going to be a frankenstein movie in there mm-hmm. so. is a frankenstein one you want to build up to because i don't well, know you, like myself yeah, frankenstein is like frankenstein's my favorite book it's my favorite it's my favorite thing almost mm-hmm. and so I could probably make an entire career out of doing nothing but Frankenstein movies. I have so many ideas. So I'm not saying the Frankenstein movie is one I'm building up to, I but see. a Frankenstein, a Frankenstein movie. movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. a, one of many. Yeah. Uh-huh. Since I asked Larry, what, what are your favorite versions of Frankenstein? Well, Larry talked about it. My favorite version actually just came out on Blu-ray. It's Frankenstein, the true story with uh, Leonard Whiting, Jane Seymour and James Mason. It's a, uh, an incredible mini series from 1973. And, uh, I highly recommend that one beyond that. I love Larry Fessenden's depraved. I love the Bernard Rose. Awesome. Yeah. I love the Bernard Rose version with, uh, Tony Todd and Carrie Ann Moss. I love, uh, Boris Karloff, of course, curse of Frankenstein. I love nobody talks about it, but I also really like the 1992 made for TNT version with Randy Quaid as the monster. You know, I vaguely remember that, but uh, I'll have to revisit that. I remember when it came out, but I don't, I don't have much memory of the actual. Uh, you see, film. it's really, it's really cool because they, uh, they do a thing where the monster is a clone of Doctor Frankenstein, and they feel each other's pain, and it's a, uh, it's very strange, but very cool. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I recommend that one. And uh, Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. That's a movie I'm really fond of. So mm-hmm. anything, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a sucker for Frankenstein. Anything yeah. Frankenstein Unbound to love. Yeah. 
Uh, it would be weird, I think, people, if, like, younger people who don't watch older stuff like yourself, and uh, if they only know Randy Quaid from the weird videos, and they'd be like, that guy plays Frankenstein. And he's so good. He's so good. <laughs> oh, he he's, really he's an awesome actor, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. awesome in Night Express. And... Oh, yeah, no, he's a really un- unsung dramatic actor, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the people who do remember him, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people, if they do remember before he was in this crazy, this is crazy guy on the YouTube, they would probably remember like um, National uh, Anthems. Yeah, Christmas yeah. Vacation or or flying into the Independence Day ship or something. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, he was a really good actor. I almost spilled my coffee here. <laughs> Actually, I'm drinking my coffee in a Frankenstein mug. Oh, well, there you I go. Didn't even, uh, I didn't even do that on purpose. Or my tea, actually, but. I also saw an IMDb. I don't know if if you wanted that to be vi- up there or what, but uh, there's a Jekyll and Hyde movie coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm credited as a director. I shouldn't be uh, by any means. Uh, basically, that was a concept that I pitched to Dustin Hubbard a couple of years ago. Uh, I was working at a call center at the time. And one of the cool things about working at the call center is I could listen to satellite radio. So I listened to uh, these radio dramas. Yeah. And they had one for Jekyll and Hyde, and I'm listening to it, and I'm bored at work, and I'm thinking to myself, Jekyll versus Hyde has never been used. And that's a really good title. So I kind of pitched this idea, and we worked on a script, and uh, Kai Hornick directed it. I played Jekyll, he played Hyde. I don't have much attachment to the project beyond that. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it is. It's been shot. I've seen maybe five minutes worth of footage. I don't know when it'll come out. But it's uh, that is what it is. It's like a weird body horror take on Jekyll and Hyde. That's interesting. Is that something? Because uh, I have very limited uh, experience in any movies, but I myself have stuff that I filmed and I thought would be out by now, but it never comes out. Uh, d- does that happen a lot? Like you're in, oh, either in something or connected to something, and it just never oh. pans out. Yeah, well, I mean, like that's the nature of the beast, I guess. Like, like Animator, I shot that. I shot that fucking thing like three years ago and it's only coming out next week. Um, I've shot all these movies. They're all with people and they just don't move. Uh, Slimoids was lucky because Alpha just, they got it and they shipped it out and it was there. So that was really cool. But yeah, it's, it is frustrating. Uh, I have my name on a lot of things that are either going nowhere or stuck with distributors or, you know, it is what it is. Mm. Since you guys both mentioned, I didn't actually, actually, I do know this because I saw it on your Facebook about the Frankenstein, the true story out on Blu-ray. Because I loved that as a kid, but I haven't probably seen it since I was like 10 or something. But I used to love it. So I, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to actually make an order that after the show. I'd love to rewatch it. The Blu-ray is great. It uh, has some really good interviews with uh, Leonard Whiting, who played Dr. Frankenstein, and Jane Seymour, who played the female monster. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really good one. I really loved the uh, this whole idea that like the monster starts beautiful and then becomes uglier and uglier. I it's something that I saw that when I was pretty young. I was like ten or eleven, and it yeah. it had a good impact on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, Doctor Frankenstein as a character sometimes overlooked as like a, a great villain. Like people always think of the monster, which is great as well. But but uh, the Doctor is the real villain in the story. He's the villain and he's also the victim himself, but he's like the victim by his own hand because of what he does. Uh, I'll say this much. There's not a script. There's like a vague plot outline, but my Frankenstein movie really is about the doctor. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, yeah, that's the hope there. Cause I think he's overlooked in the original Karloff movie. It was like, 
he that's he, like one of the best villains in movies. He is, and it's yeah. it like Colin Clive is such an amazing actor, and he delivers such a great performance in that movie. I don't know if you remember, but he has this great speech about not being afraid to do what other people are afraid to do, yeah. and it's like one of the greatest oh, yeah. speech. It's one of the, you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's one of the greatest yep. speeches in film. Nobody he was only in what like eight or ten movies, and I think he was like always great. Oh yeah, he was like this, in Hands of Warlock. He's or Mad yes. Love, or whatever they yeah, call. Yeah, Mad it. Love. He's amazing. He's awesome in that movie. You know, he was originally going to be the Invisible Man. Oh, really? oh no, kidding! He was going to be the Invisible Man, and uh, his health was just declining too quickly. Like that's oh, why that's in uh, you watch Bride or Frankenstein, and he looks so rough. It's because yeah. he was he was dying. Like his alcoholism was killing him. Yeah, I guess he died pretty young. Then, uh, yeah, he he looked much older, but that's that's probably the reason. Then, yeah, exactly. He was only in his late thirties, I want to say, yeah. when he passed. Yeah. What What are some of the movies from that era? Because people know a lot of the the big ones, obviously. But what are some of the ones from that era that you think are overlooked? Uh, from like the twenties through the thirties. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, like in the twenties, everyone talks about Caligari and Nosferatu, but I love the Golem. I think that's an amazing silent film uh, from the 30s. You know, Island of Lost Souls. I really oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, that's uh, Lugosi, my favorite Lugosi role in that one. Those close-ups of him at the end when he's like screaming, you know, we're we're <laughs> not men, we're things. It's like so they used to scare me so much as a kid. So oh, like yeah. Island of Lost Souls and uh, I'm trying to think Return of the Vampire with Lugosi. Um mm. Yeah, Mad Love you brought up. That's a really good one. Doctor X, which was shot in like the two color Technicolor, and it's got a really good creepy look to it. I love that one. I haven't seen that one in years. Oh, it's great. The part where you find out the Mad Doctor is like using the synthetic skin and smearing it all over himself. It's so creepy. Um, man, there's so many great movies from that era. Like that really was the golden age. Yeah, it's, and it's. I think all stuff still holds up. It oh, holds up better than timeless. a lot of stuff from like you know decades later. It's timeless. It really is. And um, you put on one of those movies, and it's like the purest form of escapism because you feel like at this point you really are looking into another world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even the acting style is you know completely different than modern acting. Yeah, and I tried to capture some of that in Blood Rites of the Vampire with like Anthony's performance as the monk, especially. I love them. Uh, both Troy and I love the monk. Yeah, monk was my favorite part. I love that guy. Yeah, the monk is a. Uh, in the script, he was a priest. Like in the scripted portions, he was a priest. But then Anthony and I chatted about. Uh, we both love Hammer, and uh, we both love Dracula, Prince of Darkness, where Andrew Keir plays a vampire hunting monk. So we thought that would be a cool touch. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yep. Anthony himself is like a great, a huge fan of this stuff. He played Dracula in Terror of Dracula, and he runs Bleak December, which does these great audio productions you should listen to. They did Dracula with Tony Todd. Oh, awesome. Casting the Runes with David Warner. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, Bleak December. They do these amazing, like, half-hour dramatizations of classic horror stories. They're all amazing. Neil and I have discovered new things tonight. I like this. I didn't know these were, like, things until tonight, so so I'm very happy about them. Yeah, I'll send you a link after the show. It's it's great stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I I just found, I was looking at his page, actually, here, and I'm seeing him there, the uh, the Bleak December. That's wild. And he played the Phantom of the Opera a few years back. He's a, he's one of my favorite 
Canadian genre personalities. So I was very honored to have him in this movie. Yeah. Tony Todd, I mean, the, just a, an amazing voice. So uh, mm-hmm. imagining him in Dracula is great. He's an amazing Dracula. Oh, he plays Dracula. Yeah, Tony Todd is Dracula in that production. Oh, wow. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, I'm looking for. Uh, are you looking forward to the new Candyman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I am. I, uh, I haven't seen any of the sequels, but I think Bernard Rose's Candyman is one of the pinnacles of horror in the 90s. I agree. It's a terrific movie. And I think, like, I always, I guess it's because it's Clive Barker. Maybe Clive Barker's has this sensibility, but a lot like Pinhead and the Cenobites, Candyman is the only modern horror icon who I really like into being, feeling like a classic gothic horror monster. I agree with that because they're also not, um, like, inherently evil. Where no, they're they're tragic. They're, yeah, there's some sympathy, or like the Cenobites, they're more like a like a chaotic, neutral type of force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. I think not until the third movie is is Pinhead like evil. Uh, the yeah. first two, there's a, like a sadness to him where he's just kind of doomed to do this. It's not yeah. like he gets pleasure out of it, which I, I like a lot more. He's very. Um, he's a lot like Dracula, actually. Pinhead, I find because they both like they're both very melodic erotic figures of decay and death so i feel like clive barker more so than any other horror writer of the like past 40 years is probably the most influenced by the classics mm-hmm. yeah Candyman has that same kind of idea too where it's like the this love over you know centuries and it's what keeps him going and stuff yeah which they go more into i guess in the sequels but I haven't seen the sequels in a long time. Uh, I don't remember thinking them that they were very, very good, but uh, I'll have to go back and watch. I'd like to watch them all again before the the new one comes out. Yeah, I need to see. I need to at least see the second one because the second one was directed by Bill Condon, who did Gods and Monsters, which is a movie I oh, love. Yeah. So. yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, that sounds good. So since the uh, festivals are uh, not happening at the moment, hopefully they will. You know, down the road here. What what are your plans to do with Blood Rights of the Vampire? Keep its online presence alive. Um, you know, make sure reviewers are seeing it. Make sure that like reviews are getting out there. Uh, we have a new trailer coming out soon. Making sure that people are still seeing it somehow. Because more than anything else I've made before, I'm determined to make sure this one has a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, were there any uh, festivals? I think there was one I saw on your yeah. Facebook that was that accepted it. It was going to be uh, premiering at Shockstock. Yeah, which I've heard a lot about. I've never been. Have you been to Shockstock? Oh, I'm a I'm a regular at Shockstock. I that's what that's like the happiest place on earth to me. <laughs> that's the greatest horror convention on the planet. I'm yeah. telling you, go to Shockstock if you can. Mm-hmm. When did you start going to the festivals? I started going like to conventions or to film festivals. Well, I guess that yes, there is a big difference. So Shockstock is a convention that also shows movies. Yeah, this year they were aiming to be more of a festival, but yeah, they they have vendors and guests and whatnot. Um, so I guess like uh, if you want to go with conventions, I started in 2011. Okay, I think it's about the same year I started to do them. Troy, yeah, I was 15, so mm-hmm. I uh, I was much older. I shot uh, Lloyd Kaufman's cameo for my very first short film at a convention when I was 15 years old. Oh, that's so awesome. That's yeah. how I remember that. 
Uh-huh. Lloyd's a really good guy. Uh, I know some, well, some people have different views on that, but my experience is he's, uh, he will do, you know, any, uh, just about anything for like an, uh, a young or upcoming, uh, director. Yeah. I mean, he'll never remember you, but he'll do it. Yeah. He'll pretend he does. <laughs> oh no. He doesn't even do that for me. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, maybe, pre- maybe uh, pretends he doesn't remember. I don't, uh, I don't have anything against Lloyd. I mean, you know, every, the thing with this is everyone has a different working experience with somebody. Nobody's yeah, going to have the same story of someone. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'm for sure. My, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying from my experience, from people that we've had on the show. And I think a lot of it is what you think you're going to get out of working with trauma. Like if you see it as a, an ex, a learning experience or even just a fun experience. Um, but if you go into it thinking you're going to make a lot of money, I think you're going to be disappointed. Well, yeah, I mean, it's you shouldn't be going into making five dollar movies expecting money. <laughs> right. Period. Sure. But yeah, and I know other people like uh, I'm I'm friends with Joel Reed, and I know he has a different. I don't know who's you know whose story is correct there. Who's but, in the wrong? Yeah, right. So, but but something like that, I would understand anyway. Why you wouldn't be happy? Mm-hmm. But no, like Lloyd. Uh, I mean, I. I I watched a lot of trauma stuff in high school. I haven't, I, I grew out of it fairly quickly, uh, <laughs> right. truth be told, but it's got its charm and Lloyd has his place and he's definitely an icon. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm proud to have him on the list of people I've known. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what was the, I, I did a cameo for uh Dinagore, I believe. Yeah, we shot something. It, uh, I'll tell you right now, it did not end up in the movie. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I'll I'll send you the link to Dino Gore uh, at some point. We're working on a DVD, but if you want to review it, or if Jason wants to review it or whatever for the blog, then yeah, we can work that out. Cool. Yeah, Jason. Uh, Jason's about to talk about on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dino Gore, I was actually pretty happy with how it turned out. Uh, you know, that was a fun project. Ken Meehan and Jacob Dressler had come to me with this idea. Uh, and I, I rolled with it and I was really happy with how it turned out. Truth be told, it was shot for like, I'm not going to give like a, I'm not sure what the proper budget was, but maybe like 600, $700, something like that. And I think it's a pretty effective little silly Z grade movie. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm proud of it for what it is. It's the last comedy or last like campy film I plan to shoot for a while. And, uh, I think it's a good swan swan song. I love the uh, poster for uh, Blood Rights of the Vampire. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you're talking about like the retro style one. Yeah, both of them are cool, but yeah, the retro one's my favorite. Yeah, um, the first one was done by my good friend James Witty, and then the second one was done by my good friend John Migliori, who directed Creature from Cannibal Creek and uh, Exorcism of the Dead, both uh, apparently coming out on DVD through Wild Eye. But it's oh, wild cool. eyes, so who knows? Right, uh, right. And who knows what the, the the art will look like? From what I understand, they change a lot of the. Uh, and the who knows? Art. And who knows what else they'll change about the film? That's very true. Very true. But yeah, the, the so like did did how much input do you have like uh, on the on the poster like because it for, looks uh, great. For blood rights, I basically just said I wanted to keep that like nouveau art vibe like you look at a lot of the genre lane posters you look at the nude vampire you look at 
rape of the vampires, shiver of the vampires, etc. They have like that nouveau art look to them, and I really wanted to capture that. And John, who has, to my knowledge, no experience with that art form, rolled with it, and that's what we got. And I'll be damned if it's not great. So yeah, I love it. it looks like a, it would be a cool card. I think. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like a little trading card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even the Where folds in it. it are, I have to see it. I will. I will send you the link here Enjoy. in the Skype machines. That's the, the that's Skype the, machinations. Yeah, that's what the kids call them—the Skype machine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I sent it to you, Troy. Uh, I'll send it. I'll also post it here in the uh, in the group, so people. Uh, and it, by the way, if you listen to the show, you should go join facebookcom slash groups slash without red horror. And uh, not only during the show, but all week, you can interact with uh, all these fine people. Then you can post your stuff too. But if you come and you only post your own stuff, I'm going to delete it. Come and interact with everybody. Don't just spam the place. But but if you interact with everybody. It's totally fine if you plug your stuff as well. All right, do you see you, Troy? Hello. I'm looking. I am looking right now. All right, looking. Yeah, I just went on this. Uh, I was just trying to make up stuff to kill time while you looked at the. Uh... Oh, I love it. I definitely yeah. love it. Right? Yeah. No, it turned out pretty rad. And uh, yeah. anybody who's listening, you can go on Blood Rights of the Vampire on the Facebook page, and it's there. So. Yeah, that's sweet. Yep. Yeah. So what are you doing here with yourself without festivals and conventions going on? Uh, you know, like I said, keeping Blood Rites is, um, uh online presence alive, making sure people are seeing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, also working on a really cool project to do in self-isolation that I'm hoping to announce, if not tomorrow, then maybe the day after. Uh, Anthony, mm-hmm. who played the Anthony DP Man, and I are working on something that'll hopefully... Uh, create some new classic horror content for people to enjoy safely in the comfort of their own home. So, Oh, awesome. That's very yeah. exciting. Have you been watching anything interesting? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I watched Gretel and Hansel last night, the Oz Perkins movie. Oh yeah. I really liked that. Did you like it? I loved it. I thought yeah. it was a, I thought it was a, I thought it was a fucking masterpiece. Truth be told, I was just like enamored with its, um, with its aesthetic and its artistic mm-hmm. style. It's just a beautiful, beautiful movie with a lot of like humanity and warmth. And I really like that kind of, you know, like that childlike approach to scary stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought uh, it was one of the best witches I've seen in movies, too. Oh, she was amazing. She yeah. was great. Both, uh, no spoilers, but both versions of her. Yeah, exactly. And I thought yeah. they did a really good job explaining uh, why she would be tempted. Which I don't, I didn't, for me, I don't think there's a lot of temptation in the witch movie, but I think this movie showed like actual temptation why she, she would want to become a witch. Yeah, it was, um, it, it, it had a lot of pathos to it. And I thought that the movie had a very like sincere vibe to it and didn't feel like it was trying to be like anything else that's really out there at the moment. Yeah, it definitely is a unique movie. That was one of the last movies I got to see in the theater, which well, I was happy, really happy to see in the theater. And uh, after that, I mean, beyond that, I've watched, uh, like, if, like I've rewatched older stuff. I watched Frank sign the true story recently. I watched a lot of Jess Franco recently. Um, uh, and that's about it for newer stuff. Oh, I saw VFW recently, and I enjoyed that. I've seen a lot of people talk about that. I've not, uh, I've not seen it. 
It's good. Uh, I, I like the director's other movie, Bliss, a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Bliss was really good. Color Out of Space was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think of like other newer stuff. The Invisible Man was. Uh, I think you you and Larry talked about it a bit. Yeah, I I liked it despite having a lot of reservations about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't dislike it, but. Um... I'm not I, in love with it either, but I think it's a fine movie. It's better than it has any reason to be, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, I think it's like, because I don't think you'll, it's, I guess it's not right to compare it to the original one, but the original one no, should like, be. It should be right to compare it to the original Yeah, so it's, I, I guess you're not going to do a better villain than the original one. So it's like they, they don't even really spend much time on the villain in this one. I, I don't, I think that, I think that's the worst part of the movie to me is the villain is, is completely uninteresting. And the thing that sucks is that that dude's a good actor. Like, I don't know if you watched haunting of Hill house, but he was awesome on it. And I was really stoked to see him kind of ham it up as a good villain. Oh, it's and, that guy. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And I, I didn't even, uh, I thought that like the few times, like when they're fighting in the parking lot or whatever, and he's threatening her, I thought like, yeah, you see, he's, he's got a good voice. He's tall. He's intimidating. He's not a bad villain at all. It's uh, and the movie works fine with the structure it chooses, but I do wish we had gotten a bit more of, you know, a traditional invisible man on a rampage. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, there's just not enough screen time of the villain. You don't really know much about him. Which is funny, expecting screen time from the Invisible Man. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Uh, I thought he looked neat, though. Like, uh, you know, I kind of liked the insect vibe that the suit had. It felt like he had, like, these bug eyes all over him. And, I, and this is coming from someone who didn't initially like the idea of a suit, because I thought that stripped away the monster aspect entirely. Yeah, yeah. It is a, it is a cool visual when they throw the paint on him and stuff. But. Yeah, there's some neat stuff in there. and uh, I, I thought don't she think it's a bad movie, good. though. Yeah, I, I I think uh, uh, the main actress. I thought she was great in it. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Lee Winnell. He's uh, I didn't like Upgrade. I didn't like Upgrade at all. But with Invisible Man, I was really impressed with how expert he was at making an empty room scary. Hmm. Well, like that, how- that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of that in the movie. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, sometimes he kept me looking, so I'll say that much. Yeah. Yeah, and unlike the uh, the first Invisible Man, is a very fun movie, and this is the opposite. It's a very uh, it's a very dour film. As yeah, there's not fun in it. And I'm not saying this movie's as good as Cronenberg's sure, sure. The Fly, but it is similar to comparing Cronenberg's The Fly to Vincent Price's The Fly. I think. That, yeah, that that yeah, that's a good comparison. I I I always get mad, not mad, but uh, with people like. I'm fine if people think that Cronenberg Fly is a better movie or, or they not, like it better. I don't not. think it is either. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but people, so a lot of people just like just throw away the the Fly with its a price, like it's this bad movie. But I love the Fly. No, like don't get me wrong. I really like Cronenberg's The Fly. It's got amazing effects. It's got two. Um, uh, it's got well a great performance uh, and um, a great score, but. Yeah, the Vincent Price fly, it's a classic monster movie. And like I said, uh, like I talked about earlier, it's got that pathos that's so hard to come by now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heart you feel for him. Whereas with Seth Brundle, I feel like at a certain point you... Yeah, he becomes a mo- he becomes an unlikable guy. Oh, yeah. He, he becomes just despicable. And the fly in... Uh, I think that like watching someone 
continuously fighting for their humanity is much more interesting than someone giving up their humanity willingly. Mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest endings in a movie. The original, yeah, with the yeah. big industrial yeah. press. Yeah. Help me. Help me. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, that that was like tearing me apart. And going, help me. That was like and, really creepy. And it's set in Canada, which I always thought was very odd. Oh, really? It's set in uh, Montreal. Yeah, and the fly with the big fly head looks awesome to me with the with the doctor suit on. I like. I, I even really like uh, Return of the Fly. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I think that's an underrated one too. It is. Uh, what's his name? Brett Halsey's. He's he's actually a really good lead in that one. Yep. Yeah, gotta stay away from teleportation. Yeah, that that's what we learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially if you have a fly in there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to give away the end of uh, blood of the, the blood rights of the vampire, but I do like the there's a tw- like a twist in there that I have not seen in a vampire movie, at least I not I know of, and I like that quite a lot. Yeah, like vampire lore is always so uh, rooted in religion that I thought like, well, how far does that go? Like, is everything that's blessed deadly to them? So I thought, well, you know, this this could be a fun, unexpected way of dispatching the monster. So. Yeah, no, I really like that. What What is some of your favorite uh, vampire movies besides the ones we've talked about? What are uh, the ones you're talking about? I guess my absolute favorite vampire film of all time is Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural. I've not seen that. It's a great film, uh, 1973, directed by Richard Blackburn, who wrote Eating Raoul. And, oh, it's uh, one of Troy's favorites. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, it's uh, this brilliant film about a young girl who goes out in search of her father, for, who's a gangster, and she ends up stranded in this Louisiana town filled with vampires. And oh. it's just a How brilliant. Have I never film. heard of this movie. Oh, it's a it's a masterpiece. Uh, Synapse put it out on DVD. It's in dire need of a Blu-ray release. Highly recommended. Uh, beyond that, I love Werner Herzog's Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Horror of Dracula. I love uh, Kronos, the Guillermo del Toro movie. Jean Rollin's Living Dead Girl. Uh, Jess Franco's Count Dracula with Christopher Lee and Herbert Lom. Man, there's so many Let the Right One In. Yeah, that's a great movie. There's a really good one from 90. There's a really good one from 96 that David Lynch produced called Nausea, which I really like. With Peter Fonda as Van Helsing, so oh wow, oh. yeah, uh, I love vampire movies. Like they're my next to like creature features, probably my second favorite subgenre of horror. So, did you like the new Dracula tri- uh, trilogy or whatever they're called series the, on the uh, miniseries? Yeah, oh, I loved it. I loved it too, and a lot of people didn't like the third one, and I really li- I thought it was a great ending to it. I didn't like. The majority of the episode, but I loved uh-huh. the ending. Yeah, the ending's great. That's the only thing because they're talking about that they might do more. But I was like, well, it's got no, such a perfect ending, you because know? Because like, his, his story arc is fulfilled. Yeah, he's, you can't. he's like accepted what he is and come to terms with who he is as a person, and like to bring him back would ruin it. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, there's no reason to, you know? Like, yeah, and, and like that first episode. That first episode is like pure hammer. It's a oh yeah, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, that's all. And they, I forget the, I forget the character, but the guy that's in the in the in the castle with him, uh, Jonathan uh, Archer. Yeah, that, he was awesome in that. And he was, was great. And I, 
I loved the idea of like he gets weaker and older and Dracula yes. stronger and younger. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. And then like and I, I like the subtleties too. Like you know, just Dracula's English gets better and better as as and his a sense of humor changes. Starts to go. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's, just it's love great. all that shit. And one of the best Van Helsings I've seen in forever. I agree. And I love, love the big it. twist. You know who's in the who's in the room on the boat. Like yeah. I, actually did, I didn't uh, think oh, yeah. of that. It was that, see, I loved that episode because it felt like uh, an Agatha Christie murder mystery, but with Dracula. Oh, definitely. Yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. 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 That was that. I think was my favorite of the three, and I, I enjoyed all three of them. But I think the the second one was my favorite. Yeah, I agree. That's the one that I've uh, rewatched the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's probably some stuff I don't like to throw in too, but I do like I just like the ending, and I also I also like that they went into like uh, modern day or the future a little bit, and I thought it was fitting. It, it adds to the epicness of of you know the story that's over you know centuries. It makes it very sprawling, and I think like it makes a uh, it, it adds an extra layer to Dracula as a character because you know Dracula even at his most evil in any movie he's always a, a character who's out of his own time. But what if we oh, take yeah. that character who's already out of his own time and just propel him forward and throw him in a totally alien environment? I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, last year's um, Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. What was your favorite movie there? I assume we already know. but Oh, yes. Well, I mean, it's Depraved. Yeah. Depraved, were- which blew my mind. Yeah, that was that was so good. Uh, like yourself, big Frankenstein uh, fan. But uh, did, have you ever seen the play with um, Cumberbatch? Yes, I saw both versions where uh, yeah. Cumberbatch was both the monster and then Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Do you like that I, because Troy and I are fans. I love it. I think it's oh. like a beautiful, visceral, painful watch oh, in yeah. the best possible way. Uh, those opening 10 minutes where he's just trying to struggle to walk, yeah. you you feel like the stitching stretching on him and you just feel the agony. And it's like, I, I never got that out of any Frankenstein adaptation before. I really wish the National Theater would just release that to DVD. I oh, agree yeah. 100% because I, I would, uh, it's cool every Halloween it comes out and we, could, we go see it, but it would be awesome just to be able to watch it, you know, anytime. Which you see, but I've also got this trouble with it where, Cumberbatch is a better monster and a better Dr. Franklin. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I would agree with that. So we but, need a version think, where he plays both. But yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think, like, um, out of the two, I think my favorite one is when Cumberbatch is the Doctor. Because yeah. I think the other guy plays a better monster than he does a Doctor. I can agree with that. And Cumberbatch does something with his Doctor where he's so unsure of himself as a person. There's this part towards the end before Elizabeth gets raped and killed by the monster where he stops at the door and he has to tell himself, I do love you. And yeah. He's, he's yeah. completely tweaked that he's just, he brings so much to that character. Yeah. It's amazing. He's very Peter Cushing. Yeah, definitely. And and the speech by, by, by uh, Adam, by the monster after, after he rapes his wife is just, I mean, oh, that's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like it's a, uh, you're forced to watch this thing go through the entire turmoil of being alive and making mistakes and doing horrible, horrible things and living with the guilt of them all in the span of two hours. And it's like just the most emotionally exhausting thing. <laughs> it, it's true. You're right. 
Yeah, that's one I can't recommend highly enough. I, I think that one's just so fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Is he? Uh, where else is he called? Is he called Adam in the book? Uh, yeah, he calls himself Adam in the yeah. book. Yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in the book, he has a lot of names. Frankenstein calls him the Wretch and uh, the Demon a lot, but uh, he calls himself Adam. He's called Adam in the Bernard Rose version. Um, he's called Adam in. Uh, Dark Shadows, the original Dark Shadows series, they had a Frankenstein monster named Adam. Oh, really? Yeah. I watched a lot of that when I was a kid, but I don't remember Adam. Uh, I don't remember Frankenstein being it, but it's been a long time. I mean, it wasn't really Frankenstein. It was just a monster made from dead bodies, but they called it Adam, and it's served the same purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Have you played any of the board games lately? Like, uh, I forget the name. Horrified? Yes. Uh, you know, around Halloween time, I went to pick up Horrified at the board game store. They didn't have it, so I got Fury of Dracula instead, which was pretty fun. But I I can never find this game online, but I know I have it somewhere. I have a closet of old board games, and it's this old Dracula game, and it had metal figures, and you're like in uh, you're in Dracula's castle, and like some people play Dracula and Renfield and maybe like a woman vampire. Then some people just play like the humans, but, mm-hmm. uh, um, I can't remember that. I think it's just called Dracula, but I've tried to just look it up online and I can never find can't it. Can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> but I have it somewhere in the closet. I'll have to dig it out, but I do have, I want to bite your finger somewhere. <laughs> which Tell me that fun. the marker still works in it. I don't know. I've, I, I have to dig it out of the closet someday, but Oh my God. And, uh, bite your finger, it's a Dracula game. <laughs> that does remind me, Neil, I did wear those Dracula socks at oh, least awesome. twice, oh, twice during the shooting of Blood Rites. Excellent. People don't know, I gave uh, Zeb a pair of Dracula socks. Um, well, I actually brought them for myself, but then when I found out he was making a vampire movie, I, uh, I said, I haven't worn these yet, I'm going to give them to Zeb. Thanks so much. I, I definitely, I wore them the first day and I wore them the last day. <laughs> Awesome. They're your lucky socks now. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Do you have any other? Do you, do you wear a lot of uh, horror movie T-shirts? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I do. Like, um, well, I'm not wearing one right now, but like I have a uh-huh. uh, uh, a lot of fright rags because I think they make the most comfortable horror uh-huh. shirts. So I've got their Curse of Frankenstein with Christopher Lee on it. Oh, nice. I've got uh, I've got a like you know Gremlins shirts. I love little creature movies. That's why I made Slimeoids. Um, got a lot of Godzilla shirts. People who've heard me on here before know I'm a big Godzilla guy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I like it. And yeah, I mean, I, I wear a lot of like horror stuff in general. It's uh, it's good to just sport what you love, I think. I agree. I agree. What did you think of the latest uh, Godzilla movie? Uh, King of the Monsters? Yeah. You know, uh, dumber than a sack of bricks, but a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. It was def- It's definitely a movie because um, I went to see it on IMAX and like I had a great time. Uh, on the on the TV, it's it's still fun, but it's a uh, it's a movie that really benefited if you could see it on the on the biggest screen you can because oh, seeing that. the giant monsters and the sound and everything. Oh, I totally agree. And like, dude, I've waited since I was like four years old to see like a big budget Hollywood movie that had King Ghidorah, Mothra, and Rodan <laughs> in it. So yeah, I was I, yeah, I like it. It's just uh, you know, it's a very American action movie, and in doing so, it's very like trope heavy and mm-hmm. the human stuff isn't as great as it could be my yeah, favorite 
My I think favorite. That, uh, I just oh, sorry, real quick. I think that the the woman turns too off, like one too many times. Like I kind of like the her reasoning while she why she's like letting them wanting to get the monsters yeah. out, and then she just turns good again, like immediately. And I was like, uh, I think that of these new American ones, though, my favorite is Kong Skull Island. I like Kong a lot too. Yeah, yeah I, I like thought, that one too. I thought that one had the best like balance of humanity and monsters. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I I mean the original K Cons are my favorite movie, so Yeah, same so I went in like oh, I don't know, but uh yeah, I, I like that movie a lot. And I didn't know it was like, oh, why are they gonna make Kong like, you know, hundreds of feet tall? So but it worked in the movie, it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they that didn't was so- steal them away, so you know. That's true. Yeah, yeah, they would have put them on the trying ship. to cram them on the boat, then it would have <laughs> been like, wait a second. Yeah. That was the last movie we saw in the theater. Uh, it was right before everything was going on, and he, it was actually when stuff was going on. But they showed it was a uh, uh, Fathom Events did uh, the original Frankenstein. Uh, no, King Kong. King Kong. I'm sorry, King Kong. And that was uh, that was. I never saw it so clear. No, I had never seen it on the big screen before, and it was just the copy that they had was so crystal clear. It was just amazing. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't think I've seen any of my favorites on a big screen yet. None of the classics. Like a couple of years ago, the theater here for Halloween did a double feature of the original Wolfman and the Mummy, the original Mummy. Oh, and nice. I, I love both those movies, especially the Mummy. And mm. I wish I could have gone to that, but I missed out on it. Yeah, Annabelle and I did a double. It was I think the Invisible Man and the Mummy, and we also saw. I think they did Wolfman and Drag Me to Hell one time, which is a. At first, I didn't get why, but, but I was like, "Oh, they both have uh, the gypsies." In yeah, there. the gypsy curse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Geez, I didn't get it until you just mentioned it. Yeah, I didn't get it first either. But the coolest one was one Halloween they did uh, the original Phantom of the Opera with a live orchestra, and that was like one of the coolest experiences. Ooh. Now that sounds amazing. Oh, it was great. Sorry, which version of Phantom of the Opera? Uh, the silent one. Oh, the launching. That's a great yeah. movie. See, yeah, Phantom, is, a, Phantom is another one of my absolute favorite things. Yeah. So. And it was with a live orchestra, which I never Oh, seen. my God. So that was just so awesome. Yeah, that sounds badass. That sounds completely badass. Yeah. Unfortunately, when we, we saw Frankenstein with a live orchestra, and I actually thought it, it, it was not good. Well, because, that's strange. Yeah, because I think the, the whoever did the music didn't understand the movie because they like this really angry music for Frankenstein, like very villainous music. And I, I was like, I don't think they understand what this movie's about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Missing, missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Because I thought that was going to be better too. Mm-hmm. Plus I think it's weird having uh, the orchestra with a, with a movie with dialogue. Cause it kind of overpowered the dialogue, so you couldn't really yeah. hear what you're saying at times. So it, yeah, it was like, weird. It reminds me of uh, back in the day, because, you know, the original Dracula with Lugosi, it doesn't have a score because it was released during that transitionary period when they were moving away from silent and entering sound films. Mm-hmm. So they were still played with a live orchestra. But they, uh, Universal got Philip Glass to do a score for Dracula when they released it to VHS, and it's awful. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, because Philip Glass is an amazing composer, but that's not a movie that needed it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, mentioned because Annabelle and I did one too. Was a silent movie. It was um, Lost World. Um, oh yeah, the, that's a great one. Yeah, it's a, it's a great movie, but the orchestra—it wasn't really an orchestra. It was like some weird uh, 
modern alternate alternative band and like uh the music just didn't fit the movie was, i think they were just playing whatever they wanted to play and weren't <laughs> paying attention to the movie but it did not fit but if you have a music that fits it's a really amazing experience mm-hmm. yeah i saw that with um oh when they re-released um fantasia and they did it with like a live orchestra and that was pretty wicked i gotta say oh wow yeah, I mean, I'd love to see like Caligari or Nosferatu with. Uh, oh, that would be bitch. Yeah, it would be amazing. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I'm sure if I lived somewhere like Toronto or something, it'd be a little easier. But who knows? Maybe when the plague ends, I'll make it more of an effort to travel around <laughs> to these things. Right. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't play anything like that where I am either. I'd have to go up to Boston to see it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're not going to play it in sandwich. But actually, they did play uh, Nosferatu. Remember a few years ago, Troy? Yeah, the I town didn't know hall. About, yeah, because I didn't know about it till after it happened. But uh, yeah. apparently, our town hall used to be a movie theater, and like like back in, they actually showed Nosferatu when it first came out, and so they they like refurbished it and showed Nosferatu in our town hall. But I didn't know. We about heard it, about but. it like the day after, and like, oh, great, great, good thing they advertised it. <laughs> Yeah, because that's, I mean, there's, this is not a town where they do anything horror related. (laughs) No, no. Sandwich, Massachusetts. Or really anything movie related. Or anything, anything related. Yeah, we have a glass museum. And the Thornton Burgess Museum. Yeah, Thornton Burgess and a duck. I need to ask who's Thornton Burgess. Uh, (laughs) He wrote um, Uh, um, Br'er Rabbit. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and the sandwich glass. Exactly. Don't worry about that. The glass, the glass museum, because the glass, the old glass, the sandwich glass place blew up. So the glass. Museum <laughs> Holy shit! It's just like it's like fragments of glass. So it's like broken stuff. And we'd have to go every year when I was a kid, and, and when we were like seven, and you were walking around like looking at broken pieces of glass. You're, it's like the most boring thing. <laughs> It probably still is if I went to it. Maybe, maybe I'd be like, wow, this is really amazing. But You I might find your whole new love for glass. I, I guess I could. I'll see you glass blowing after that. Man. I'm not that big. Uh, big oh, I'm sorry. Of, of, of uh, Night Shyamalan. <laughs> oh, glad. Oh, God. That was, a, that, was a, that was comedy gold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where can people find Blood Rights of the Vampire? Uh, not well, the movie itself, but where can they find out what's going on with it? Find it on Facebook. If you have a website and you wish to review it, then by God, send a message and I will send it to you. It's um, not for everyone. It's weird and dreamy and slow, but I'll be damned if I'm not proud of it, and I'll be damned if I won't share it with you if you want to see it. Very good. I also really like uh, the... Um, which I mentioned on the page, I really like the text of the poster art you have for the, uh, the display picture on the yeah. Facebook page. Again, like hearkening towards that seventies art house kind of horror vibe. It's a very gross, like a, uh, kind of makes me feel gross. The, the shade of green that that's used in yellow. Yeah. Good. Good. But <laughs> <laughs> very good. It's, it's always, it's, you know, you're talking to somebody <laughs> like, if you say this kind of makes me feel gross and they say, good. Yep. <laughs> it's like mission accomplished. Exactly. <laughs> well, Zeb, it's always fun to talk to you, and we will do this again. It's always a pleasure. Oh, yes. Good. 
right. Well, you have a good night. You as well. Take care. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Hi, this is Greg Lamberson, and you are listening to Without Your Head. And I have a long history of film without heads. We have no head in Slime City. We have no head in Killer Rack. And we have no head in Johnny Gruesome's. Check out all those headless films. All right. We're back here at Without Your Head. Still nasty, Neil. I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. It's very cold out. It is. It's a chilly, clammy, yucky kind of night. Yeah. So a huge thanks to all our guests tonight. Oh, it's been tremendous. This has been one of my favorite shows in a long, long time. I agree. Mark Jones, the writer and director of Leprechaun. Oh, just a really cool guy. Dug him along. Larry Fessenden. The great Brave guy. And a bazillion movies. And our buddy Zeb Godon. Absolutely. It was a win-win-win tonight. Exactly. Thanks to our music of the month here tonight, uh, this whole month, Black Frog. Absolutely. Good times. Check them out. And uh, if you like the music of the month, uh, at the very least, give them a like on their Facebook page. But um, if you dig it, go and uh, download some of their music. Go and uh, buy some merchandise. Go and buy an album. Yep. Always a good thing. Help them out. And you don't have to worry about getting uh, getting a virus. You can uh, go and uh, all these bands now, you get the music on the on this thing called the internets. What? Right, it'll be digital. Digital. And it's, it's not radioactive or anything? It is not. Right. So before we get to some side news, I want to talk about something very silly. All right. Silliness is good. And, uh, well, it's silly, but maybe it's not so silly, you know, with, oh. with XM. But in my mind, it's silly. And that is Dana White. Um, the UFC Dana White? Yes, UFC Dana White is saying he has a, he is, has a, he secured a private island to hold UFC events because you can't have them in the States. <laughs> Whoa, that sounds like straight out of a, um, like a Bruce Lee movie. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's got like a, a private island to hold fights. So that everyone's going to go fly to this island to fight people. <laughs> I, I kind of love that in my own way. Now, I do, too. Because it's kind of an evil Dr. Doom kind of thing. Yeah. I think they're going to fight to the death. They don't know it yet. It could be. could be. It's like, we can't postpone this. we gotta, we got to go get our own island. <laughs> so, All right. That is kind of silly and funny. Great. <sighs> Is you is UFC that important? Yeah, it must be to somebody. I don't you think, know who. Will they do this with the NFL this year, this season? If it yes. works out, they're gonna they're gonna like um, they're gonna buy Manhattan and just turn it into like a giant series of football stadiums. Man, maybe they just won't even tell you where it is. It's just some like island out in the Pacific. <laughs> It'll change up, you know, it'll be a different island each week. Yeah. What if they just would have, like, uh, the NFL, like, on, like, an aircraft carrier? Oh, that would work. That would yeah. be kind of awesome. Like, holy shit, he just knocked him off. The, they just fall into the ocean. That's, <laughs> like, a level of uh, danger to the games. Yeah. All right. I'm 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 down with it. I'm digging it. Yeah. So strange. But uh, horrible news, Troy. Uh, one of my favorite guests. My favorite people, Dieter Lazer, has passed away. I heard. I'm sorry about that. 
Yes. Renault's really huge nice fan. Guys. Yeah, huge fan of the Human Centipede movies, first two yep. movies. Uh, uh, through D-Laser, uh, I met Annabelle, who was a big part of the show for a few years. Yep. And I uh, got to meet him in L.A., and uh, he was... He was, I uh, went and read his messages. The, the final interview he was going to do was without, was without your head. He was going to do any more interviews, audio oh, interviews, but he would do one for without your head. Oh, man. I, I loved, I loved, uh, you know, your interview with him before. It was just mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I really dug him. Very yeah. uh, powerful actor. Yeah, powerful actor. Sweet, sweet guy to just, you know. From what you know, what I've garnered about him, yeah, and he uh, he passed away on uh, Leap Day. Oh, really? Twenty ninth, February twenty ninth. Oh, well, I also heard uh, on other sad news, Mort Drunker, the old cartoonist from Mad Magazine, who had been with him for over fifty years. Uh, he also died today. So. <laughs> He's one of those guys. He did, I think, more mad covers than anybody. He mm-hmm. it's kind of like Jack Davis. He he just did uh, really good caricature work and stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, just real talented dude. He was ninety one. Damn. Well, he, he he did live a good life though. He did. He did. But he still didn't pass Al Jaffe. Al Jaffe mm. still has fifty six years with Mad. Damn. And Drucker had fifty five. And that, boy, if you want to well uh, live a long life in your cartoonist, go work for Mad Magazine. Exactly. I guess that's yeah, that's the secret to a yeah. long life. Do they still they're still around, right? I remember there's a room they were closing, but did, did they close? Did they stop? No. They're still doing them because I, I got a new subscription, but I, mm-hmm. I don't. They keep talking about going to like a, uh, you know, uh, just an Digital. online thing. Yeah. Yeah. So far, they still are making the. Uh, the physical copies, which is good, mm-hmm. because yeah. that's that's that great, you know, um, segue between like comic books to humor to magazines. You know, is is the old EC thing, you know, mm-hmm. where they made uh, Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt and all those great comics. Yeah. Then after the seduction of the innocent, the whole government thing. They were not allowed to make any science fiction or horror or war comics. Mm-hmm. And so Bill Gaines started Mad Magazine, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to mention over on uh, withoutyourhead.com on the Watching Movies page, uh, Mr. Mitten, our man Mitten, uh, the headless critic, he has uh, reviewed Rabbit, which uh, I'm, I actually really want to see. It's, uh, oh, it's the rem- a new one, yeah. The Cronenberg oh. uh, film, but well, the original Cronenberg film has uh, been remade by the Saskia sisters, and yeah, he really liked it. So, uh, oh, okay. I hate the old one, so I might enjoy this one. I yeah, I'm not know. a fan. I'm not a big fan. I know a lot of people consider it a classic. I'm not a big fan. Uh, I don't like it at all. Yeah. So we'll. I will check it out. Also, our man Mitten, my man Mitten, Troy. He has been a hard at work. He's he's a hard working cat, that kid. He went and uh, he added without your head to IMDb. We have an official Ooh. IMDb page, and nice. it lists every guest, every episode. No kidding. I don't. This could have taken a long time. 
That's a labor of love right there. It is. So, uh, big thank you to uh, Jason Mint for doing that. It's pretty well. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Bravo. Yeah. It's crazy. I think he might he might have earned a uh, a pen and ink of the maestro for that. Mm. So, apparently tonight was uh, episode 549. Damn. And that doesn't That's a lot of a episodes, lot of the, uh, kid. Like just uh, the music shows and stuff like that. Pretty wild. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man. Mm-hmm. It's good man. Thank you, Mister Mitten. Hell yeah. So I cop. I got a lot of uh, upcoming guests, Troy. Oh, hit me. Uh, Sarah French will be coming on the show next week. She's in uh, Rootwood. She's in the upcoming Blind. Oh, very good. Uh, she was in Hanukkah. She's in all kinds of stuff. That'd be very fun. Yep. Sounds good to me. We're going to have the cast of Penance Lane coming on the show, and that includes Tyler Maine. Oh, very good. Tyler Maine, former guest. Always a lot of fun. Yeah. Sabretooth. Yep. And Michael Big Myers. scary man. Exactly. Uh, he'll be returned by type of Penance Lane. And Renee Gearlings of, Hall- of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 will also be here to talk about Penance Lane. Oh, very good. And Issa Lopez, the director of Tigers Are Not Afraid, which I was a big fan of. Yeah, I love that movie. Excellent. She's on Shudder. I'm I'm digging all this stuff now. Right. And we will ask, I'm not sure exactly who yet, but we will be having guests from uh, this new cartoon on Adult Swim. Let me get the... uh... Get the handle. Yeah. Uh, J.J. Villard's Fairy Tales. Who? It's an Adult Swim 15-minute show, uh, and it's uh, adult, the old um, fairy tales, but they're done in a horror uh, cartoon, and they're voiced by uh, a lot of horror icons, such as Linda Blair, Warwick Davis, Robert England, Corey Feldman, uh, Jennifer Tilly, and many more. Nah. Peace. Oh, and they're all like old grim fairy tales? Yep. Oh, sweet. This is very exciting. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. A lot of cool people coming on the show. A lot of cool That's people have been on the show. That's true. And if you go to IMDb and look for us, you'll find a big ass list. Exactly. Excuse me, I was started to uh to yawn. Oh, see, you're like, man, the years are catching up to you. Yeah, I'm getting to be an old man, Troy. Which I shouldn't say that because you're a lot older than me. Well, what's this a lot shit, huh? decades oh my god or not quite not even a decade but you get the idea i get the point i'm i'm an old creepy bastard it's very true <laughs> so i i know it's both good and i thought that was when you were supposed to disagree with oh me. no of course not no a young viral man that's right thank you so the um i'm gonna say oh there's a gra- uh, so been recording a bazillion interviews mm-hmm very good interviews, both for Without Your Head and Inside Your Head, even some for In Your Head, the wrestling show. Nice. Uh, but there's only so many hours in my day, so I'm very behind on editing, but I'm going to try to get everything up by this weekend. Okay. Burt Ward. Oh, nice. Uh, it was like an hour and a half interview with Burt Ward from Batman. Uh, I need a pointer of the legendary Pointer Sisters. I'm so excited. 
Just can't hide it. Uh, Sonny Ono. Oh, too cool. Uh, WCW Wrestling. So anyway, uh, soon there's going to be a website that's going to include all our stuff. But for now, you go to iwhitewrestling.com for wrestling stuff. Go to Inside Your Head for so, from odds and ends. And go to Without Your Head for all the horror good times. Odds and ends. I like that. I specs like and specs. Mm-hmm. I almost started calling because we got the station of decapitation here. I was going to call it the station of useless information, but I think depending <laughs> on yes, they'd be like, "What?" Yeah, that's true. You don't want to offend anybody, right? I actually came into uh, people. Uh, there was a, I won't say who, but um, they were like, you know, just one of the details, like who's on, blah blah. And so I was like, "Yeah, that's without your head." With that. I mean, this was for inside your head, inside your head with nasty. Like nasty Neil, you, are you like a shock jock? You're not going to ask like any like uh, you know treacherous questions. I was like, oh my god, no, it's be fine. So uh, there's been people that told me that they don't like the nasty Neil name. So it actually, this is the first time it's ever like was almost a problem. Huh. But, but it was, but it's fine. Well, maybe they were looking forward to that. That's true. They didn't say, oh, they didn't say like, well, they're not coming on. Yeah. Like, I want some naughty questions from Nasty Neil. That's true. That's very true. But Shock Jock, I was just thinking, like, what what are they, like, a 90-year-old man? (laughs) Shock Jock's, like, very, like, 90s. Yeah, it is. It is. I guess I don't don't even think Shock Jocks are too shocking anymore. I don't think there's such a thing as a Shock Jock. No, not anymore? Nah, I think that's that's just what everyone is. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe there are, but I don't think they're they referred to as shock jocks. No, probably not. I don't know. I haven't I haven't listened to like any talk show type radio in a long time. No, radio's kind of. A, I guess there is radio. I don't want to say it's a thing with that. <laughs> but you can listen to all this stuff online for free. What the hell you're listening to the radio for? True. Kind of goo. Kids all tell me that uh, you know video killed the radio star. Video killed the radio star in my mind and in my car. Why are there 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 are no are there videos? I guess videos just go right to YouTube. I I don't even know. Do they? Oh yeah, that's true. There was a new uh, video for the new Pearl Jam album. Oh, there was. Yeah, it's it's animated. It's kind of neat. What do you? What would be the purpose of making that? Just to put it on YouTube and get people. (laughs) I guess so. I don't know. I I, I don't really know. Mm. I don't know either. I don't know what the use of anything is, really. <laughs> it has value to somebody, I'm sure. Right, right. God damn it, I'm tired of seeing anything about uh, Carol, Carol Baskin or Exotic Phil or Joe. I don't care. I don't want to. I'm tired of seeing anything about this documentary on Netflix about this guy and a tiger. Oh, Christ. Yeah. I have no interest whatsoever. I get the strangest people are delivery guys bringing along like custodial supplies. And that was his big thing. Oh, you're watching that? No, no interest at all. Fuck that. Don't give a shit. Not even a little bit. Fuck it. Yep, that's what I say, Chief. I try not to work blue, but fuck that. And then it's like everywhere. People reference it in every joke, and I'm like, I don't, I, 
the only reason I kind of know what it is is because everyone has to talk about it all the time. Yeah, whenever I turn on Netflix, it's the first thing that pops up. Uh, that's very it's true. like, watch this bullshit. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, God, who wants to watch that shit? But uh, former guests here on the show, uh, some of their stuff's coming out. Jamie Burnett, uh, Bernadette was just on, and her movie came out Tuesday. And that was Dead by Dawn. So you can get oh, that nice. on video command or DVD. And Rootwood is uh, now out on Prime Video on Amazon. Oh, good. That's good to know. Yes. This is good to know. Uh, this guy here, uh, Michael Leo Sente, shared he's got a movie coming out, Easter Holocaust. And it's a pretty sweet uh, poster. Oh. And I don't. I don't remember an Easter horror movie before. No, I can't think of one either. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's something new. I like it. I like it, too. You know, uh, I'll often see, like, a lot of, like, really new stuff. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like I like, I like uh, holiday horror movies. I do, too. That's That's one of those things that, like, I usually can't get enough of. Exactly. And then, like, uh... Especially, like, all right, there's a million Christmas ones. I like the Christmas ones, but there's a million of them. That's Find cool. a holiday, doesn't have a horror movie, make it, boom. Lepre- Leprechaun, every St. Patrick's Day, you're like, well, what am I going to watch? Yeah, gold. I don't watch. Watch fucking Leprechaun. Yep. Then you're like Rankin Bass, you know? Every Christmas, you're like, hey, Rudolph's on somewhere. Boom. Mm-hmm. Now it's like every... Uh, St. Patrick's Day. I know Leprechaun's on somewhere. Boom. Mm-hmm. Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. <laughs> there's no Rudolph horror movies, though. Are there any there reindeer movies? Hmm. Why not a werewolf reindeer? That'd be pretty awesome. Or like, I remember in the old Warren magazines. I don't know if it was. Uh, uh, eerie creepy or vampirella but i think it was neil adams had a great uh he did the illustrations i can't remember who wrote the story but it was a it was a hollow uh a christmas um strip and santa's reindeers were all like skeletal reindeers flying off that's when the kid found out he's like wow you know if you swap the letters around santa becomes satan it was pretty cool. Hmm. So I'd like to see a skeletal reindeer in a movie. So, yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a thousand uh, horror movies set in Christmas. A lot of them have evil Santa Claus. I want to awesome. see one with with subtype of killer reindeer. They could be zombie reindeer. They could be skeleton reindeer. Like that. We see a lot of zombies do skeletons. Yeah. That'd be cool. There's, uh, or maybe they just have like uh, rabies. Oh, that's pretty cool. Rabbit reindeer. Yes. Or they're just a werewolf. So anyway, whatever, whatever it is, maybe I shouldn't put this out there. Maybe we can make it, but boom, killer reindeer. Flesh eating reindeer of some kind. Exactly. 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 There are reindeer, I guess, in my short. I, I hear that, uh, if you go to, um, Iceland, that's the big like meat is reindeer. Really? That most of the stuff that they make for you is uh, is reindeer. They I've had I've eaten reindeer. 
Well, see, you're all set then. You can go to Iceland. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Is it? Well, I mean, I had ground reindeer. I kind of think if you just take any meat and grind it. Yeah, it's probably pretty decent. Some, yeah. It's kind of like the um, jerky. Yeah, it's that's like, true. If you take any meat and just cover it with, with salt and spices and let it dry, <laughs> it's going to taste good. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because I know at, like, the fair, they used to always have the different, like, jerky vendors. And I always loved them all, but you're right. I think that's probably because their teriyaki spice mix was real good. And it probably, yeah, just, you, you couldn't tell the crocodile from the camel jerky. Right. You know? Who knows? It might have just been paste. <laughs> that's true, too. Or it might have been people. Exactly. You wouldn't know. No. You Can you really know. tell the difference between beef jerky and bison jerky? No, I don't think anyone can. Nah. Some lying asshole. <laughs> I don't know what the guy that comes on. Like. It's, now somebody's going to have a throwdown. They're going to be like, I can tell the difference between pork jerky and people jerky. That's that's a show. That's a, That would be a good show, is it? <laughs> Yeah, oh, that would be a great uh, Fuck fighting on an island. Yeah. yeah, you got your private island, Nick <laughs> and Dana White. We've seen fights. Everyone knows this guy punches this guy. This guy puts this guy in arm like, is it people? That's the I love that. See. You could be the host. There you go. They're on, you're on an island. It's like chopped. One person gets, only one of the people in their basket gets meat, human meat, but they don't know it. Yep. They think it's pork loin. Everyone makes a thing. And then they're like, is this? Which one's the people? Is uh, that people? Uh, oh, you fucking wanker. I'd say it's this plate here, the blue plate. Exactly. Then they could bet. They're like, I, and then they they can, can become the meats. Like, well, I'm going to bet my ankle. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you got to put some excitement in it. Do stuff you, like we can't, you can't do a... A, a people eating show like in in like you know Vermont <laughs> but you could do it on your own private island they could do as probably most anything yeah on your own private island i am the law on my island exactly you do a, a show about clones you like so you like you bring out like hey look at this child i made and then the people have to guess like they oh that's part you know flounder and part you have to guess. Like, oh, so you're doing like an island of Doctor Moreau kind right, of thing. Right, I like it. Yeah, but they this have to network guess. Like, sounds the... great. You're right. gonna have your own streaming network soon. That that no, if you still want the fights, Dana White's probably like I have that fights. That could be the fights. You're like, can the Tiger Man beat the Flounder Boy? <laughs> I got a bad feeling Flounder Boy's not beating anybody. Yeah, you're probably not doing. It. It's like, well, he's just got his both his eyes on the side of his. Yeah, that scales. might kind of weird some some of the yeah. other ones out. Like, whoa, yeah. that thing's kind of gross. The other guy's got fucking claws and teeth. <laughs> yeah, I think he. I think the flounder boy's screwed. All right, they're like, well, Tiger Man wins again. Yep. All right, now see, I think you're on to something. Mm-hmm. Once we get our own island, so if somebody wants to buy buy Nasty Neil an island. Mm-hmm. You can have these great programs come. See, now we're sounding like PBS. If you if you donate some money, if you give us an island, you can have fine programs like 
Who's got is the it human people? Meat? Yeah, right. is it people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the island of Doctor Moreau, <laughs> Moreau's <laughs> death match, right? right. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Moreau's death match. I Lose like the it. the house of pain. That's right. Yep. Uh, damn, Losers this is a show. Back to the house of pain. Mm-hmm. And and hey, bitch, my uh, mitten. He likes when I call him bitch. Jason oh. Mitten. It's like a pet name. Uh, that's a that's a segment you could cut out and put up on YouTube. That was a good segment, I think. All right, I like it. Yeah, I think he listens to the show. Doctor Moreau. Oh, well, he does. This is right. probably right up his alley. I would think finally so. I can learn all the ins and outs about Leprechaun. <laughs> that's true. I guess lepre- the origin of a leprechaun is kind of like an island of Dr. Moreau. They just had like a dementia fairy <laughs> banging like a, a goblin. Well, I think the goblin was the horny one. I think like. Oh, I see. Probably raped the fairy, I would imagine. Damn. Although the fairy might have been wanting to live a little on the dark side, you know, like, hey, I'm going to slum it, fool mm-hmm. around with some goblins, see what this is all about. Yeah, so in. Um, see, and the goblin in- gets the blame. It, it might have been like the the fairy might have been you know it might have been consensual. What was the HBO show with the vampires and the True Blood? True Blood. Now, didn't it come out like because I stopped watching after because I was not a fan. But what didn't it come out that the woman was like a fairy? I I never got that far. I think that's I, why they liked the taste of her blood. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. So they they missed the opportunity to have it bring in a goblin to bang her, and then then she could have gave birth to a leprechaun. Well, didn't the show last like five or six? It lasted a long time. Maybe this happened. I just missed that. Yeah. I think I I stopped when um when I was disappointed with the werewolves. So I think that was season. Yeah, two. the werewolves were lame because you already had the shapeshifter who could turn into anything. He could yeah. turn into <laughs> Eagle. Even later, final later, I think he could turn into another human if you wanted to, but he could turn into a tiger, an elephant. An elephant. Right. Yeah. right. I know. So then they're like, well, the werewolves in this, and this just turn into wolves, nothing else. And, and no, they're no, terrified of them. They're like, fuck, these guys will turn into wolves at the drop of a hat. And it's yeah. like, well, you got the shapeshifter with exactly. you. You can turn into a rhino and stomp them all to death. Yeah, and he could turn to wolf if he wants. They were <laughs> right. living in this guy. Yep. And they always got their ass beat. The vampires just whipped their ass all the time. Yep. They were just schmucks. They were. They were. They were such a disappointment, the werewolves. Now, I'm not a big fan of the wolf, the werewolf in America, Wolf in London, even though I think it's the greatest werewolf movie. I but at least it. it's, yeah, but at least it's a big, nasty looking thing. It ain't just oh, a fucking yeah. wolf. Yeah, it's like a big dire wolf looking thing. It will probably put yeah, the hurt on you. It's a monster still. I mean, it's four legs, but it's a monster. These were just plain old wolves. Yeah, they, they didn't even look really like big wolves. They were kind of like dogs. Yeah, like just, oh, Ralph, go get your dog. He's like the cameraman. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah well, I got a pack of dogs at home. We'll, like, you know, fight them to a standstill. Whoop-de-doo. Fuck that show. It's a very topical thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, whatever. So I, I want I know it's not horror, Troy, but I want to do a sword and sorcery month on, on the show. Love sword and sorcery. Let's do it. 
So I've been asking the the fine people out there like some suggestions of movies. We try to get guests from. Oh, so that got, sounds awesome. Uh, Paul's got Willow and Krull. All right, good choices. Good. He also says Highlander, which I never really considered sword and sorcery, but I don't know. More there is magic about, and there is sword play in it, so mm-hmm. I can I can buy that. I give that a thumbs up. I give that a pass. Yeah. Uh, Conan, of course. Oh hell yeah. Andrea says Willow, Jason Erickson, Dragon Slayer, and Excalibur. Oh, Dragon Slayer. Oh, man. Is the guy that was Merlin, is he still around from Excalibur? I don't know. Is he, did he become a big actor? I don't know. That would be sweet. It's only a problem. You know, well, I always just say it's a problem that these people died. They can't come on the show, but it's also a problem that they're dead. <laughs> If they're a big actor or they're dead. Right, right. <laughs> no, he, uh, uh, sadly, uh, Merlin died in 2011. Oh, man. I know, uh, what's his name? Nigel Terry? Is that the guy's name? The guy that was King Arthur? I think oh, he's yeah, dead, yeah. too. Damn, man. He just died 2015. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can get Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, that would be tremendous. Or or um, Captain Kirk. I, I mean, not Captain Kirk. The other, Picard, he was in uh, Excalibur. Mm. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah. Yep. Man, uh, Lancelot's dead. Oh, really? How about the guy that was Mordred? Because he was, you know, pretty young at that time. He's probably still around. Let's see. Guinevere's still alive. All right. Morgana's still alive, but Helen Mirren's not going to come on. Let's kid ourselves here um no no he died in 2003 son of a bitch now did i tell you um he was only 43 he's younger than i am now holy shit that's crazy that in the old the original broadway production of uh of camelot do you know who was king arthur in that no because in in the in the movie version it's richard harris who proves that he can't sing <laughs> But it's just as bad, the person that was on Broadway. Who's that? Richard fucking Burton. Really? Yeah. He's not like a tremendous singer? I can't imagine him being... uh, Robert Goulet, though, was... uh, He was Lancelot in the the original Broadway production. So Mm. see if Burn and Bob Goulet will come on the show. That would be pretty sweet. Oh, but but on the Broadway production, do you know who Mordred was? He must have been a young guy at that time. No. Um, Roddy McDowell. Really? And Roddy McDowell actually didn't have a bad singing voice. Really? Yep. Hmm. Not a bad, not not really that bad. Interesting. Uh, Andrew Yayas Hunter uh, suggests Beastmaster. Fucking Beastmaster, yeah. Ooh. Our buddy Carl Solomon, he he says sword and the sword and sorcery. Oh yeah, hell yeah, sword and the sorcerers, the balls. Yeah, I love sorcery. Yeah. I loved that one when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, yep, I, that was Lee one. Horsley's in that. Hmm, that was one they used to play a lot on HBO, like in the early days of HBO. Oh At yeah, least when we first got anyway. Yep, I've seen it many times. I haven't seen it in many many years. No. Lee, Lee Horsley. Horsley, he was the man. He he's also had up. that like TV show. I can't remember what it was. He's still like a magnum, magnum ripoff. He's still he was in the Hateful Eight. 
What was he in that? Ed. Ed. Hmm. Well, that's all. Right. Maybe we can get Lee Horsley on. That would be great. He's been in a bunch of uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. He must just really? be a dude that Quentin likes, huh? Oh, okay. Paradise? Is that the show you're talking about? Uh, no, no. This was, the I think, the the detective's name. Man, I don't know. Hmm. Hawkeye? I don't, I don't think it was Hawkeye, but it might have been. I don't know. You've been a lot of TV shows for any. Matt Houston? That's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Matt Houston. Yep. All right. We'll see about this guy. Uh, Carl's actually in that movie. He says, I play the pillow boy to General Seeds. Nice. Willow again. Scott Curtis, Deathstalker 2. I agree. Nice. Be a big fan. Gore. What's Gore? G O R. Hmm. I don't know that one. Yeah, let me look it up. Uh, Jim Wynorski made uh, Deathstalker 2, so we've had him on before. That'd be fun. Yep. Gore. This looks pretty awesome. Gore, 1987. Uh, American professor Carl Cabot is transported via magical ring to planet Gore, where he must help an oppressed country overthrow its evil king and his barbaric henchmen. Nice. I'm about it. Yeah, me too. Well, what about some more modern ones? How about, like, Game of Thrones? Yeah, that would work. That would work. Oliver Reed. I thought this looked like Oliver Reed. Yeah, Oliver Reed was in the score movie. Huh. I'm going to have to find that one then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, The Witcher. Yeah, I've not watched that. I need to check it. I need to catch up on that. Yeah. I don't think you'll get Superman, but. Maybe. Maybe the Bard. He sings a lot. That's newer, isn't it? 13th Warrior? Yeah, that's not a good movie. Oh, fuck that one. Uh, Beastmaster Conquest by uh, Lucio Fulci. Whoa. Mm. This will be good, though. We'll even find some some stuff we haven't seen, I'm sure. Exactly. Because then you had, like, the weird, like... uh, a lot of those strange backshe animated ones. There you go. Wizards. You go. Mm-hmm. Uh, this looks good. This 1983 movie Conquest. A young man armed with a magical bow and arrows embarks on a mystical journey through a mystical land to rid it all, to rid it of all evil and join forces with an outlaw to take down an evil witch bent on claiming the magic bow for evil. Nice. It doesn't seem like whoever wrote that like speaks English very well. <laughs> no, I don't think English is the first language there. Uh, yeah, we might have a hard time getting it because I don't, I don't think it's an English movie. Either. Uh, well, also, see, I, I don't know if any of the people speak uh, that's English. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How, we'll see. We'll see. Stephen Butler, Red Sonja. Oh, yeah. There you go. A lot of the same cast, though, from Conan in that one. Mm-hmm. Orson, that's true. Orson Oblowitz, uh, Captain Cronus. The Vampire Hunter, right? Or Vampire yeah. Slayer? Yeah. I've seen that. I think that's uh, Carolyn Monroe, I think, is in that one, isn't she? It's 1974. So, Oh, yeah, Carolyn Monroe. Yeah. Huh. 
Ver- Horst Johnson plays Cronus. I wonder if he's <laughs> still alive. He's Is still- he? That's awesome. I'll right, try to track this man down. But the Untamed—that's the the new show that I've been watching on um, on Netflix, and it's like a good Chinese uh, sword and sorcery kind of thing. Okay. But I don't know if any of the kids—they're all beautiful kids that star in it—but mm-hmm. I don't know if any of them speak English. Uh, Stephen Stahl, Hawk the Slayer. Hawk the Slayer. I remember seeing that like at the drive-in. Mm. Mark Heller, he's listed much ones. Also mentions uh, Black Angel. Oh, I don't know that one. Lady Hawk. That's a good oh one. yeah, Lady Hawk's great. And Legend. I don't know if that fits. That fits maybe. Yeah, Legend. But I, I like the movies. So. Yeah, I don't know if anybody get up. Give Tom Cruise a call. Yeah, you never know. Just he's tell like, him we'll yeah. just talk about Legend. We won't talk about anything else. <laughs> You never know. Well, probably not going to happen. But uh, if you could talk to the people, sometimes that would work out. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. He's crazy. Might do it. Yeah. And Lady Hawk's another one. Fucking Matthew Broderick, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is probably not going to happen. I do. That That's one of those often forgotten ones, but I, I always enjoyed Lady Hawk. Yeah. I thought Richard it was a clever Donner. movie. Maybe Richard Donner would come on. That'd be yeah, awesome. Um, and uh, Jeffrey Stackhouse Crawl, of course. Yep. Who made Beastmaster? Wasn't that the guy who did? Um, pretty sure it's the guy who made Phantasm. I think you're right. Yeah. Or did he and make one of the sequels? It's no, he the, did it. Yeah. It's got the dad from uh, Good Times. Oh, nice. Rip Singer, Mark Singer. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. But uh, maybe we could get, uh, might be able to get Don Coscarelli on. I think he might do it if we're like, I mean, we've had him on the show before. Right. But I, right. I think I think it might be interesting for him to come on and just talk about Beastmaster as opposed to uh, Phantasm. <laughs> I'll be awesome. Any anybody from any of those movies would be tremendous. I think. Mm-hmm. So pick a month. All right. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe uh, yeah maybe we'll do it next month. Yeah. Right? So give us some time. May. Yep. Sword and sorcery month. May. In the merry merry month of May. Mm-hmm. I like. I like it. it. I like it too. Do it up. Do it to it, Chief. All Get right. Warwick Davis on the horn. Do it up, Warwick. Yeah, you're tired of talking about about uh No more leprechaun talk. We get it. We don't care about that. We're talking about Willow. That's right. Oh, that I'm, sounds awesome. I love like this. It's like I'm tired of talking about that too, assholes. Like oh get big A on the horn. There we go. Then I could do my Im- impression. We can do dueling like Schwarzeneggers. It'll be great. Exactly. These people got nothing to do now, they're just sitting around. In their mansions, and they're just like, "Well, I'm going to talk to these guys." Oh, what else is going on? What All else right. I got to do? And one of my dream guests, Neil. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can do it, and this, uh-huh. it's a tall order. I'm not going to ask for anybody dead or anything. All right. But Michael Moorcock, if mm. you could somehow find him, I don't know where he is, what he's doing. Mm-hmm. 
but he's the guy who wrote Elric, which is one of my mm. favorite sword and sorcery uh, books. Right, right. So if you can find Michael Moorcock. So what you're telling me, Troy, is your dream is for me to find you Moorcock. Exactly. Boom! Yep, yep. You can post that. You can, <laughs> if, if you can deliver, if you can deliver Michael Moorcock, uh-huh. I'll wear a shirt that says that. All right. I'll wear a shirt that says Nasty Neil <laughs> delivered me more cock. I love it. Love it. James Earl Jones had to come on talk about nice. playing Salsa Doom. Now that would be awesome. Be pretty sweet. I am the wellspring from which you flow. <laughs> or one night I can just do all the dialogue from, from Conan the Barbarian. Mm. Yeah. We can just <laughs> figure it out where we'll watch Conan and I'll just do all the voiceovers. Mm-hmm. I'm all about it. I'm hey, is, is, uh, oh my God. Ben Davidson, is he still kicking around? Who do you play? Uh, he was one of, oh, um, no, no, I just looked him up. He pet, no, he died. Oh, uh, he did. Son 2012. Of Another one of those great uh, raiders that became an actor. And they're all dead, too. Unfortunately. Don't play for the raiders if you want to get a career in film. All right. Well, Tro- Franco, uh, Franco Colombo. He only has a bit part in the movie, but he's like the little scout from Thulsa Doom. He jumps on the rock and does like the uh, frontal crab flex. Yeah, I don't even see him listed here. No. Oh, yeah, I see him. Oh, is he? No, he died uh, this last year. Son of a bitch. Franco oh, Colombo, his problem was like, uh, he was never going to be Mr. Universe because he was like five foot one. Because mm. he, he had like that crazy physique, but like mm-hmm. just standing next to like Lou Ferrigno and Schwarzenegger and stuff, he looked like a midget. All right. Well,. I'll get to work here, see what we can do. All right. Your quest, my quest for more cock. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anything else, Mr. Jones? We're we're past the witching hour and the 1230. We haven't gone this late for a long time, but it's been Good a lot Lord. of fun. We had a marathon show tonight. It, it's been tremendous fun, though. That's, it has. That's why it doesn't seem like it's gone on long. Exactly. We're going to be in the four-hour mark here pretty soon. All right, Chief. So I think uh, that's it for me, boss. I think it's a good time to wrap this up, but I had a wonderful time. As did I. Thank you, my friend. And thank thank you, you, my brother. Thank you, all our guests. Thank you, people that wrote in uh, questions. Yes, all good people all around, all around. All you people out there sitting around like, what the fuck I got to do? I got to sit inside. You know what you can do? You can listen to this. Yep. Listen to Without Your Head. Exactly. And help share. Help spread the head. Share this with your friends, your enemies, your loved ones, (laughs) strangers, everybody. And subscribe to Without Your Head on YouTube. I've been putting up some new uh, interviews. And I'm going to be putting up some uh, previously unaired footage. So uh, check that out. Well, thank you, Nasty One, for always keeping us. Thank you. Informed and entertained. Yes. All right, Troy. Until next time, this is Nasty Neil. And this is Terrible Troy. And this is Wout. Your. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs>